Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman and I just wanted to say, Scott, I really enjoyed this podcast and I was wondering if you'd be up for doing it again sometime. And I'm Scott Daly and, ooh, hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, no strings attached. Right. Just the one podcast then. I mean, you said you were okay with it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's fine. Let's let's just um, get on with it. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of hands-free hair braiding, deliberately disobeying orders, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week on the show, we continue Arc 17 Sundown with chapters 17.7 and 17.8. After washing all that sex off, Victoria heads back to the warden's situation room where she proceeds to ignore all of the orders and advice she gets, which maybe ended up being a good thing? Matt, what did you think of these two chapters? Yeah, as you say, it's, we're in a very interesting place here where we kind of know we kind of know that Victoria's misbehaving. Um and she's doing it for all the right reasons, right? Sure. I think we're going to talk today about how she's basically at this point in the story, she's she's the loose cannon. Um that that's that's the trope that we're going to be talking about today. Sure. Um but we're we're worried about her. I'm worried about her at least. That's where I am right now. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because, and I think one of the one of the things I'm going to talk about over and over again throughout this part of the book is that I'm very worried about her, um, but also like the recklessness with which she continues to behave seems to keep working out. Like at the end of these chapters, they're going to successfully talk Amy down and prevent an all-out war between two sides. And they're going to do that largely with Victoria's help. And that is a direct disobeyment of any order or command she was given. So it's like, on the one hand, worried about her. Don't think she should be behaving this way. On the other, kind of keeps working out for her. Yeah. And it's obviously super entertaining. Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, of course. And one thing about these chapters I can't wait to get into is just the way that the setup of the situation of, of having a character who's watching distant things happen on screens. Yeah, yeah. And how well that actually works for me. It's it's a really cool device. I think it's doing very specific things in this arc that's all about uh myth like being disconnected, being alone. Um and now we've we've had our we're watching events of something through and and a third party, not directly from our character experiencing them. I like it a lot. Yeah. All right, let's get on into, well, for, first, uh, one announcement. Uh, the Halloween costume contest ends, I mean, well, okay, it ends no, November Friday, 1st, right? Yeah, Technically, Friday. yeah. Um, but this episode is going to be released on Halloween, so you basically have like a day after this episode is released to get your submission in to gutwormpod at gmail.com. We look forward to those submissions. Yeah, I've seen some people posting uh, their worm-themed costumes on the subreddit, and I'm like, I know that those people haven't entered the contest yet, so I'm like, 
you could just you already made the costume. Yeah. Here's a chance to just get to get a prize. So yeah. yeah, get those entries in. Um I think this is a lot of fun and I and I hope hope we get a lot of great entries. So Halloween is now technically, so just do it. <laughs> All right. So let's get into 17.7. Victoria showers, not to clean herself of the evidence of her sinful, sinful actions. No, uh, certainly not. But rather to give herself a space for spacing out. Uh, and as she stands in the shower, she takes inventory of her injuries and scars. Yeah. I mean, I liked I liked the joke you made, but um, I, I one of the things I really liked about opening on the scene is that it almost makes like a specific juxtaposition to her earlier sex fantasy with Annalise, right? Um, In in that fantasy, they were in the shower together, getting hot and heavy. Now, after 45 minutes of that sweet, sweet loving, Victoria is in the shower alone. In fact, we find out that they both are showering right now, but they are doing it separately. They are doing it alone. It, It is not the fantasy, right? It is only this contact that ended up being very fleeting that as we'll see throughout this, this beginning part that, um, it, it it works in the moment for Victoria, but she feels it fading almost immediately upon uh, walking away from it. So um, I, I just love I love how Wildbo used this idea of the shower, this thing that has has a very specific context when it comes to Annalise to kind of drill home the point of, yeah, this was fine in the moment, but it's just not going to it's not going to solve any of your problems. Yeah, a lot of things are getting drilled home in, in these chapters. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, I mean, it's it's like as far away from the fantasy as it can get, though, right? It's it's mm-hmm. it's just really uncomfortable uh, situation. I mean, we're, we're gonna we're gonna go through it in detail here. So, um, so first of all, like, there's some fun writing here as Victoria's inner monologue sort of meanders around, and it takes on this spacey quality. We we know her we know her voice very well at this point, and so right. it's very easy to notice when it's when it's weird, right? Like here, she's saying. Human contact did, did nourish. We needed it as a species, and I was a member of that of the species. I would have been lying if I said I didn't feel nourished, which wasn't to say I was hunky dory. Ha ha, fuck. <laughs> it's 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 strange, right? It is. I, I'm glad you pulled this out. It, like I I think I think I want to break down both of the paragraphs in this thing because they're so fascinating. I mean, the first one is obviously hilarious because this is not how human beings talk. <laughs> about themselves right it's like uh yes i as a i i I hold up this this glass of water and i say ah yes water the building block of life the liquid needed by all humans of which i of course (laughs) am one like that is not how people commonly talk about their species um right and I'm not saying that to say there's anything insidious going on here, like like we're secretly been in Waste's head the whole time. We're not actually in Victoria's point of view. I think rather this is just a really great tiny moment that kind of shows Victoria is maybe even subconsciously reminding herself or or trying to convince herself that she is human, that she is still Victoria Dallin. She's still this person. And I think it's a really great window into that. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um yeah, it, it's it sticks out. It, it's language that definitely sticks out. Yeah, um, and of course, and, so yeah. does the the hunky dory ha ha fuck moment, right? Because like, like Victoria has many times in this book, like just drop some expletives and some some fucks and shits in her internal monologue. But this is something that's almost unique 
and different, right? Like the mm-hmm. like the text going like doing something like haha here just immediately stood out to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's sarcastic, right? Mm-hmm. It's it it really shows you like this is not this is a Victoria who is in a very strange mood. Maybe a mood we've never quite seen her in before. Right. She's like I like I said at the top, like her her internal monologue is is sort of spiraling around like it it it's and she's aware of that too in, in a sense like she she's not really able to like rest her mind on any particular thing and she's trying to just like not think yeah and 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 in the process of not thinking she's actually obviously thinking because she's not like a master meditator she's her her mind is wandering among a, a bunch of different things right right yeah um, so one of those things is that she imagines herself to be sharing the shower stall with a judging Dean and a looming Amy. Oh, I love this so much. I, like once again, distorting the idea of the shower, right? Mm-hmm. Not only is this distorting the fantasy that she had with Annalise, but a shower is a place to wash yourself clean. Um, and now it's tainted by these almost like shoulder angel and demon that are that are looming behind her one judging her the other just lurking and and what i like about this the most is victoria just is this isn't just an external there are these images these ghosts from my past judging me she internalized it as well this is not just a visual representation of dean judging her for her actions this is self-judgment this is her judging herself um amy's looming isn't just a reminder of Amy and what Amy did to her. It is a specific reminder of, she says here, how I'd made concessions to her for the sake of everyone and anything. So like, it's not just, she seems to be aware that it's not just the external, that that these are representative of her own internal battle with herself. And I really like that a lot. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that this isn't like fight club. Like she, she doesn't, she doesn't really think that there's these two figures in the room with her it's 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 a yeah it's it's really just her way of kind of pegging these these two these two negative emotional um attractor states that she's trying to avoid acknowledging but it's not working yeah 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 and i didn't i didn't think she actually thought they were in the room i i I just think like it's it's very it's very focused on how she's feeling about herself. Like, it's not just, I feel like Dean would be judging me. I am judging myself. It's not just that I feel like Amy hates, I hate Amy. It's like this Amy being here represents a certain level of self-hatred she has, um, especially in regards to how she just had to behave, how she just had to deal with her sister. Um, Mm -hmm. And and she hates that she had to do that. And she's kind of disgusted with herself that she had to do that. Um, Yeah. And and I I love this like so we have Dean who represents like this guilt or regret we have Amy who represents the self hatred and then like the wretch is still around here who to to Victoria represents control like is control and it's just like oh I wonder which of these looming figures in her life she's going to embrace mm-hmm. uh, yeah I like that a lot and you know something just kind of occurred to me just now um, you know there have been a few showers in this book and yeah. usually a shower is is a is a is a kind of Victoria seeking to escape from from a situation she doesn't like, from feelings yeah. she doesn't like. There was the one where she just kind of like floated in the sh- in the stream of the shower for a long period of time, um, literally flying and, and rotating. Um, which which at the time I I remember we we read into as being like a sign of detachment, where she's just like letting herself fly. Um, but but anyway, um, we have this recurring symbol of of water in the story where water is sometimes used as 
in, in the symbolic way that it is typically where it's like, oh, cleansing and, and life giving. But also many times in this book, water has been used to represent drowning, crushing, suffocating, yeah. overwhelming. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's above you, you're drowning in it and you're, and you're looking up through the water and you can't make it. And, um, and so I wonder if like th- that's, we're meant to, to port some of that in here where it's a shower. She's trying to get clean. She doesn't really feel like she's like, it, it doesn't have the effect that she wants, right? It has more yeah. of an effect of like, Oh, you're burying yourself in this substance that is, that is oppressive. Yeah. I, I think that, I think you're absolutely right there. And I think one of the things that uh, an interesting wrinkle on that is this idea that she tells herself at least twice in this opening part that she doesn't need to get clean, right? Mm-hmm. That she just took a shower. Like she just took a shower before, like not too long ago. And this is an unnecessary shower. She does not need to cleanse herself, um, but she's doing it anyway. And, and here in this, in this place where she didn't need it anyway, her thoughts are, are literally invading the space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's very interesting. Um, yeah. I wonder, I wonder if that shows like this idea of, I didn't need to clean myself like shows. I don't, I don't want to say like, a lack of um, remorse because I don't think she's specifically done anything wrong, but like we, we see her kind of in, in these two chapters double down on the ignoring of all the orders and commands that she's been given. And I, I wonder if it shows like, I don't need to clean. I like there's, there's no, I haven't mm. done anything wrong type of thing. Yeah. I don't need to wash my hands of this because I don't accept that I've done anything wrong. I yeah. like that. I like that a lot. Um, here, there's also, I think, an important moment where she thinks of her injuries as being hers, untouched by Amy, and this fact is important to her. And, of course, we know that this isn't quite true, uh, mm-hmm. that her injuries were touched by Amy and then they were returned to their current state, which almost kind of makes them not count viewed from a certain lens and can't help but think that might end up mattering somehow. I, I do. I, I think you're right. I think it's kind of in line with what we talked about last week where we talked about, you know, a, uh, Jessica Yamada revealing that Victoria's joining of Breakthrough was at least partially tainted by Amy's influence. Um, I think that's true here as well. Her scars, her injuries. And importantly, she says here uh, the things that she did to earn them. It's not just about the injury itself. It's about the action that earned the injury, the inaction, which is unquestionably good. It's her trying to help people, trying to save people. Um, and she got those injuries and they're, they're hers. Um, and, and no one can take that away from her. And you're right. That's not exactly true because Amy did. Amy took those injuries away and then gave them back. And so that is her influencing more control, more violation of of Victoria's central meanness. And I feel like you're right. I feel like that is going to come up. I mean, uh, part of me wonders, like Victoria knows, right? Like that's what the that's what the the fingernail represents is is that Victoria knows what Amy did to her. She doesn't have the details of it, but on some level, she is certainly aware. Um, and so I think she's holding on to these injuries as an untainted thing with, with this idea that maybe it is tainted. Yeah, no, I I suspect you're right. I suspect that, I mean, the fact that she knows that Amy did something, but doesn't know what is probably low key driving her crazy, Mm -hmm. like in the background. Um, Because for all she knows, I mean, really when you know what Amy's capable of the, the imagination would never stop giving you suggestions of what she might have done, right? Oh, God, yeah. Uh, like, there's a reason why she's avoided thinking about it and, and kind of only thought about it when really kind of forced to. And I think that's because it's 
it, it's it's absolutely crazy making uh, to to be in that position. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, I agree that you're right that she's she's no longer certain. I think of of her kind of ownership of these injuries. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean the the destruction of the fingernail was specific to tossing away and destroying the influence of Amy over her. Like this yeah. is one thing she knew for a fact that Amy put on her. And so I must destroy this thing. And then in the meanwhile, she goes, okay, got rid of that. Everything else is safe. My ripped up hand that's safe. The burns, that's all me. That has nothing to do with her, but that's not true. And I, I do think you're right that that seems like that could come around. Yeah. So then Victoria proceeds to fantasizing uh, in the shower about crippling Amy with a telephone pole or using Tattletale or Mockument to attack her psychologically. Basically, Victoria indulges in a full-on violent revenge fantasy here. Mm-hmm. And again, the only thing that reigns her in is an awareness, not that this would be immoral, but that she would get into trouble. Yeah. So so what I like about the kind of the framing of this is she's in the shower and she mentions that she's got this Dean ghost on the left and this Amy poltergeist on the right. And she says if she tries, if she like she knows they're there, but if she tries, she's trying not to think about them. And if she thinks about them, either of them too hard, um, it'll be bad. So she's trying not to do that. And then like, bam, the next paragraph, it's like Amy. Oh, I hate her. So it's like she completely you see you almost see her completely fail in this regard of I I feel this looming presence of Amy. I'm going to try not to think about it. And uh, fuck, here we go. Um, I I really like that setup. But yeah, I mean, we we talked about this hatred and and like like I think back when she was in the dream world, you had this wonderful thing you talked about where like her hatred of Amy was her taking control of the situation. And I think we're seeing that again played out again here, hating Amy as a form of control. And one of the things that I think is is important and interesting about this is at the end of this rant, Victoria basically says, of course, I don't actually want to do these things um, because they wouldn't actually help in the long term. They wouldn't actually make me feel better in the long term. I don't actually want to do these things. And that's something I don't think we hit hard enough last week because I think she kind of echoed some a sentiment like that last week. But we have this 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 relationship with victoria and the wretch this this control that she's gained and we saw with the the reaching of eric's hand um victoria acts without thinking and activates the wretch to stop that and she both wanted to do it and she didn't um and and so it's like the wretch responding subconsciously to what she wants to do and and i mean you you think about that and you think oh god what happens when she gets in the room same room with amy right if that if that situation presents itself is the wretch just gonna go oh you you clearly want to kill her because you've been thinking about this non-stop let's just let's just do that right away um and what kind of trouble that could get her in yeah i agree i think that that's probably something like that seems like it is being set up um because you know and, and we tracked we tracked this last week we tracked it many times over the course of the story that she went from purely scared of Amy to f- basically being being in a place where she hated Amy and she could say that to herself and now hating and wanting to kill Amy and mm-hmm. she does say that she doesn't really want to do it but like it, I, f- I feel like I feel like she kind of does yeah, well, and, and I mean, I think it's important to say that there's a big difference between like in great detail visualizing killing someone and actually killing someone, right? And, yeah. And and the reason why I think this is important is because I think what we've seen with the shards, 
Um, they don't deal in subtlety yeah. that, and nuance that well. Like, right. like I think these are alien creatures who have a very base understanding of the complexity of humanity and the things we think about versus the things that we do. And I could just very much see this, this I'm helping Shard to just go, Oh, okay, sure. Let's do it. Yeah. And Victoria thinking she's in control. I mean, that's the dangerous because at this point she's like very confident that she's gotten a handle on this thing, that she's in control and Oh boy. Yeah. I I think you're exactly right. Especially when her reason not to do it is like, well, I would go to jail. And it's like, I don't think waste gives half a shit about that. Yeah. What's, what is jail? Yeah. To the extent. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I think you're right. I I mean, in a sense, I mean, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I definitely feel like something's being set up here. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a reason why we are specifically avoiding having these two characters in the same room for a while. That's true. It's true. So she turns off the shower and she begins braiding her hair while talking to waste. And only after a moment do we realize that waste is the one braiding her hair. And I screamed. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about this for a bit, Matt, because we've had conversations before how this this control and this interaction with waste could be seen as a good thing. And and these are things that I kind of agree with as as a symbol of forward progress in Victoria. If we do the whole powers as trauma thing, this is could be seen as Victoria, you know, um, accepting her trauma and coming to terms with it and and so this acknowledging it and not trying to run from it or not trying to push it out of her life but acknowledge and deal with it and the result is this this closer interaction but (laughs) then you read sections like this and there's nothing in this part that is not horrifying to me like like I, i i am fully on the side of it's progress and it's good. And then I read the way stuff like this is written and it's horrifying to me. Like, like this sentence, you're just a fragment of a fucked up omnicidal alien who happens to have a symbiotic or parasitic relationship to me. You probably expected a different existence. So did I. We're in this mess together. I smiled. And, and that, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe it's me putting the emphasis on that, but it just feels terrifying to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that I would call some of Victoria's thoughts and and actions in this arc, especially the latter part of this arc, creepy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the smile definitely feels creepy there. Like I I I don't know. That's the way I saw it. Like in my in my little brain movie. Yeah. It was a creepy smile, and and it'd be interesting to see what other people's takes are on that. Um, because because really, there's there's nothing. There's nothing overt about it, right? Like it, it's 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 open sure. to interpretation. I I would say if somebody else said, no, I didn't read it that way at all. I, I just have to be like, yeah, that's fine. I don't really have a lot to support it, but <laughs> right. but like it it does. First of all, the fact that a, a lot of a lot of the like thoughts she's having are not are kind of a little bit off center uh, mm-hmm. for Victoria, and and then and just like I smile being a paragraph by itself is is um stands out for sure. Yeah. I mean, let's also remind ourselves that she was told not to use her power and she just keeps keeps doing that. She's, yeah. Right. Um, I, I do think it is interesting that she admits here that their relationship could be either symbiotic or parasitic. And that is I mean, I think that fits in line with where we go in the next chapter. Right. When we start um, when we start kind of exploring this idea of what influence specifically like textually exploring this idea of what influence your shard has on you. Um, 
admitting that this relationship could be parasitic and just being cool about it is bothersome to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I didn't I didn't think too much about the fact that she used those those words that way and like because because I, I tend to think of it as being kind of symbiotic because like you're getting you're getting these amazing superpowers, but like it's using it's it's using you. You're not, you're not really getting a, a real advantage from the superpowers mm-hmm. due, due to the way it's using you. So, yeah, um, I mean, by definition, a parasitic relationship is one in which the one organism is benefiting and the other organism is suffering. Yeah. Like so <laughs> like. To just be like, yeah, we're in this parasitic relationship, so we're in it together. It was like, yeah, but it's fucking you up. Yeah. I mean, just so, so just stepping outside of Victoria's perspective for a second, it is interesting that when we got a look into the heads of all the different shards, they all did really seem parasitic except for Waste. Waste was the only true, one who true. was like, basically said things like, sometimes I try to convince other other shards not to kill my host. Right. Um, because I like her basically. I mean, they didn't use those words, I don't think, but, um, yeah. And I think that is something very important that like, as much as I, I get creeped out anytime I see like a shard becoming closer to its human waste is unique as far as we understand in this, in that regard, um, waste is different from some of the other shards we've seen. Um, and, and that has to be taken in consideration when, when talking about this kind of stuff. Yeah, I think you're right. So, um, yeah, I, I, so I, 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 just this one moment that also played as a little creepy to me where she's like, there was a chance I could help people, a chance I could help my team, a chance we could help my team. And I, I don't know. It's just like, she's increasingly going to the we with, when it comes to, to waste. And I like that a lot. Well, I mean, honestly, like, to, I think what's creepy about this is that she's, she's experiencing this alienation from, from people and then the few people who are around her, she's either sort of violently rejecting or or just rejecting out of hand, uh, like Annalise we're about to talk about. Mm-hmm. And then she turns t- to this alien shard creature, and, and and that's what makes it creepy. I think. Right. right. I mean, yeah. I think I think that's exactly what we're going to talk about right now. Actually, yeah. one of the things that. we didn't talk about last week, but gets brought up again here is just how much Victoria is itching to get to try out the wretch in battle. Right. She's basically been given this new superpower kind of in, in her sense of control. And then she's immediately benched and grounded and banned from using her powers. And she's itching to try it out. And nobody is letting her, nobody is letting her go into battle and actually try this thing out. And I think this is just another example of, of these feelings of isolation of lack of control kind of verging on a boiling over moment for her because like this is she wants like it's just like imagine you got a new toy and then everyone's like i'm sorry you can't play with your toy and i'm not going to tell you when you can play with your toy again you just have to deal with that i mean that eventually is going to hit hit a point of of boil over i think absolutely and and we know that shards feel the same like like it's it's basically canon that if uh if you if you refuse to use your power or if you don't use your power in the destructive mode that the shard wants you to, then it will fight you. Um, and it, it, it'll, it'll mess with your conflict drive. It'll, it, it'll do weird stuff to your, to your brain. And, um, that could even be what's happening here. Honestly, like all of her uncooperativeness and, and 
kind of, uh, uh, I guess, just struggling against everyone could at least partly be waste being like, all right, I got this new control. This is awesome. I can't wait to try this out. Let's go. Let's go in the field. What's wrong? Why aren't you letting me go in the field? And yeah. and um, basically amping up Victoria's agitation level. Yeah. You keep thinking about punching people so hard they die. Yeah. Why are why are we not doing that? Right. Remember when we learned how to do coin shot stuff? That was fun. Can we yeah. do that again? Right. Right. There's all kinds of stuff in this conference room I could use. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I think you're right. I mean, and I think I think importantly, not only I think is this a correct read, but I think the book is kind of inviting you to make this read because a lot of the last part of chapter eight is inviting you to really start textually considering this idea of how much your shard is influencing your actions in subtle ways. And and like I said before, this has always kind of been uh, this has been a, a, a discussion point, but the text is really looking at it and exploring it through Victoria and Amy for the first time in this book. Yeah, I'm really liking this reading because this is one of the situations where is it Victoria or is it the Shard? Well, I think there's excellent textual evidence that it is indeed both. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but both of them have very good reasons for being off kilter right now. Uh, yeah. I mean, Waste, to the extent that a Shard has emotions, is probably really excited about the new control and really wants to use it and is not getting the chance to. Mm-hmm. And then Victoria is kind of on the same page, but also has a lot of other crazy life stuff going on. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. So, yeah. So, so you know, continuing this thread of of human connections being denied, she runs into Annalise outside the shower. And he's shaving with a knife because that's, that's his thing. And the exchange is basically her saying, uh, okay, I got to go now. And then slowly backing toward the door and then him saying, uh, sure, sure, no problem. Uh, no strings attached. Right. Um, I certainly don't have any human feelings. <laughs> uh, hey, you know, rat catcher. <laughs> oh, man, rat catcher. Am I right? Would you please talk to me? No. OK, um, sure. No problem. See you later. And <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, just kind of feel for the guy. Yeah. I mean, so I have to be honest. The first time I read this, I did not read the conversation that way. But then I read it again after you and I talked about it. And now I can't. <laughs> not see it that way and and you know we, we we were talking about this in the discord a bit today i think a lot of people don't quite agree with this read but i i i do think there's something there to the fact that i think i think annalise is definitely cool and completely understanding of victoria's terms of this hookup but i do think annalise wanted more than that yeah um, and 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 I'm not saying any of this to like admonish Victoria for her behavior. I think it's absolutely fine. You set the terms, you abided by the terms. But I do think there is a a te- a reading of this conversation that is exactly what you said where where Annalise is like, "So what do we do now? Do we small talk?" And then Victoria is like, "Uh, yeah, I could just I could just leave." And then he's like, "Oh, yeah, okay." So a rat catcher. Yeah. Um, let me tr- talk about that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> she she basically tries to end the conversation politely. He tries to continue the conversation. They bat back and forth a couple of, of exchanges and then she does leave. Yeah. And, you know, I, I went back and I looked at the actual chapter when he asks her out. And it was interesting because I, I feel like some people, including me, like our memories have been twisted by expectation because because if you asked me, did, did he suggest that they just have like a hookup? I would have said like, yeah, that sounds right. No, that's not what happened. He 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 liked her. He wanted to get to know her. He wanted to spend time with her. And it was 
it, it, it was, it was a very kind of like, um, relatively innocent and, and just kind of straightforward, like asking someone out if they want to have coffee later or just hang out later. It, it was not yeah. a, it was not a, a sexual overture, which is, which is like how my brain has twisted it because that's kind of all Victoria cares about. Right. Um, right. So it's just like, that's, I think that's worth pointing out is, is that he definitely always did want something more than that. So the reason I bring all this up, like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it, you know, all, all shucks, poor Annalise, but, but also like, here's a human being kind of holding out his hand to her offering more meaningful human connection than, than just the sex, which she says nourished her, but she kind of seems to get over pretty quickly. And yeah. she, and she basically says, um, no thanks. And then leaves. And then instead reaches out to have this one-sided conversation with waste. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think that is, that is why it matters. And that is why I, I ended up just really enjoying your read of it because, um, and I think I think that could be true regardless of what or whether or not you think like Annalise is like hopelessly in love with Victoria or not. Right. Like whether or not he actually wants more out of this relationship or not. This is a scene in which he is trying to have a human conversation about stuff he's dealing with. Um, and and Victoria, a woman who has repeatedly throughout this arc, talked about how lonely and alone she was, rejects that connection. That, that is unquestionably textually true that is what happens yeah she she walks away from it and she has a nice conversation with her alien head parasite um and that is significant for sure yeah and yeah i mean it, it is like it, it's really fascinating one of the things i wanted to touch on before we move on from this is part of Annalise's conversation about rat catcher is this idea of i want to give her another shot because I don't want to be a person that lives with regrets and the world could be ending. So I need to do this now because we might not get an opportunity to do this later. And I don't want to live with regrets. And of course that is significant because Victoria is going to live with regrets. In fact, a couple paragraphs later, she says, I was going to regret the shit out of this. <laughs> um, and, and so I think that is once again, like, and she doesn't really even acknowledge that fact, right? She doesn't acknowledge the difference between him, a person that she likes and respects, um, trying to do the right thing to a person that's been hurt. And her was just like, well, you know, regrets. I, yeah. Eh, okay. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I, I think, I think it's interesting. I was actually paying too much attention to the context of the conversation with Annalise to pay too much to, to pay much attention to the substance of what he was actually saying. But yeah, that's mm -hmm. a great poll that he, he's talking about regrets and the, a lot about their interaction can be, can be framed in terms of regrets. Yeah. Yeah. That's just really interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so the end of this conversation, the, the talk, the talk with waste here is like, she's she's basically talking about how she's benched and she's frustrated because she can't really try out all the new waste stuff and she like she's goes on this long conversation about how she really wants to experiment and understand this relationship that they have and then we get this wonderful gem as she walks into the situation room again where she says to herself hands no powers I reminded myself as I got to the situation room. So we're at the state now, Matt, where Victoria's fusion with the wretch has become so extreme that she has to consciously remind herself to use her hands. <laughs> yeah. 
Right, right. Um, like that's the fact that it's again, it's one of these things where it's like the fact that it's not worrying is more worrying than the fact of it itself. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I mean, the other the other thing that I think matters about this is like there's there's been a lot of there's a lot of arguing arguing between Victoria and Eric in this chapter and in next chapter about what specifically uh, what specifically she is denied from doing right like is are the was it really the wardens that ordered her to not to have any contact was it really the wardens that did this this or this or is this just eric being an asshole but in me in this moment her reminding herself to not use her powers at least is her acknowledging the fact that she's not supposed to use her powers right so like that whether or not that was explicitly handed down from on high under this new benching she seems to be aware that if she were to use her powers in this room, people would not be happy about it. So, I mean, whether or not yeah. it's literal or not, she knows it's wrong. And yeah. and I think I think that that is true for all her behavior in this chapter. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of sort of risky behavior, I guess you could call it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Like risk seeking behavior even. Yeah, yeah. So she returns to the situation room and she's almost immediately confronted by Eric, Yay. who, contrary to her understanding, uh, thinks that he was put in charge of her. And, uh, you know, thinking about Eric this week, I had a realization. Uh, so, you know, bad boys, lethal weapon. Eric is the hapless schmuck who is put in charge, to, who who is told to keep an eye on um, our loose cannon cop heroes by the police chief after the chief has confiscated their badges and guns. Uh, but of course, before they've rescued the shipping container full of, you know, traffic people. Um, basically, Eric's role is to be hated and foiled. That's, that's his purpose in the story. <laughs> the, the, the problem is that it's Wildbo and he writes good realistic characters. And, and so, and so people can't help but get in his head. I, I think it's a very interesting um, phenomenon, actually. Yeah, I, I love this. I totally agree. Because to to take your metaphor and extend it further, if Victoria is a cop, Eric is internal affairs. Mm-hmm. And and nobody in buddy cop movies likes internal affairs, right? They're, they're the annoying ones that tell the cop who we know is right and good, but sometimes doesn't follow the letter of the law that they're not allowed to do the thing. When clearly they should do the thing, and if internal affairs would just get off their back, they'd be able to do the thing successfully and save the world. Um, so I think you're absolutely right that that is Eric's role in the story, and that is why Eric is very frustrating a character. He's kind of designed that way. Absolutely. That, that's and the com- trope, yeah. Yeah. Come to think of it, our pop culture view of internal affairs goes a long way to explain the issues with police our country (laughs) (laughs) but that is a conversation for our new podcast doof save america (laughs) our our politics podcast oh my god Uh, definitely not doing that yeah that i mean i mean that's that's very interesting it's a very interesting thought scott Mm -hmm. um but we're talking about fiction and fiction has nothing at all to do with reality of course so keep your um observations out of this podcast I'm sorry. Yeah. I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. So um, hereabouts, we get some great, horror awesome description of the nursery giant just, just being awful. Yeah. And and Matt, I mean, the truly great thing about this podcast that we run is that we could just move over this and not force you, the listener, to re-experience all these awful descriptions of these things nursery is doing. Or. 
One half of the screen for the nursery giantess wreathed by a pile of her creations. The men giving birth to the flesh trees from anus and urethra. The woman mostly doing so with a more conventional route. Fluids pooled and drooled around the mass with the flesh trees bowing as their fruits grew by the second getting heavier from baby to adult in a matter of minutes. That was nice. Yeah, that was thanks. Thanks. Because because I almost didn't have a perfect rendering of that in my brain but now i do so yeah because you read it out loud look look let's just let's just give wild book credit where where it's due right yeah his his continued ability to write monstrous horrible things is incredible i this paragraph is disgusting but it's also really good i love pooled and drooled the repetition there is is really great i love that yeah i love that too it, it, I mean, yeah, reading it out loud, it really brought home how, how good it sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one thing that I like, I'm so used to hor- horrible parahuman shit that it didn't occur to me until now. But like there's the image of these straight laced people like wearing suits in this in this office setting, which is basically what this situation room is. Yeah. And then on the <laughs> monitors, they have this fucking nightmare. Uh-huh. Um, it's just kind of a funny uh, juxtaposition. <laughs> there's a flesh tree growing out of his butthole. Yeah, his Ah, yes, it's great. <laughs> um, so it almost seems like things might be going smooth until Eric insists that Victoria only communicate with her team through him. Basically, he's interpreting her bench status to mean that she's not allowed to communicate with him um, directly a- at all. Uh, and Armstrong kind of backs him up and says it makes some sense. Yeah, and, and I think this is worth talking about because we have our boy Eric, internal affairs, established prick. Uh, this character ended up being fairly contentious amongst the readers of the story, right? And I think it's exactly for the reason you said that Wildbow does a really good draw, job of drawing realistic characters enough to where you kind of just want to dive into their head and be like, huh, I wonder what this is like from his point of view. Um, but so so that's Eric and, and people have disagreements about Eric and that's fine, but Wildbow like isn't interested and I, I'm I'm I appreciative of this. He isn't interested in like textually clarifying what he means by the character, right? Like he doesn't want to like swoop into the conversation and say, actually, this is the right side. Um but what he does, however, and I and I think this is actually brilliant, is he brings Armstrong into this scene to provide some additional context. So now we don't just have Eric making rules and demands, which are suspect per our point of view character, and because we kind of think he's a prick, we have this this ba- this character who is a non-cape, yes, but he's trusted, he's known, he has a long history with a few of our protagonist's favorite people, including her best friend, And he is here to provide his opinion. So we still have Eric and your interpretation of Eric can stand wherever it wants to be. I'm not interested in fighting people about that. But Armstrong is here and is here saying words like, if they're concerned, don't feed those concerns. So regardless of what you think about Eric, when Armstrong is backing it up and saying, yeah, it makes sense. Just I don't know if it's like if it's literally if that's literally the way it is, but if they're worried about you, don't do anything to validate those worries. You should listen to him when he does that. Totally. And I think that's what this part is doing. Yeah, I mean, what we like what we know of Armstrong, he's this incredibly perceptive and empathic person and mm-hmm. it almost makes me wonder like he he doesn't take up a lot of, of real estate in these chapters, but knowing what we know about him, you have to wonder if he doesn't just totally have Victoria's number and cuz that's like the perfect thing to say to her. 
I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't right. work, but, but it's, 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 it's what she should be listening to. If they're concerned, yeah. don't feed those concerns. You should just sit on your hands right now. Yeah. You could argue with me and say, Hey, her intervention in this scene was what led to their success. That's probably true, but they're probably going to be really concerned if they figure out what you were doing, Victoria. They're, they're, you're, you're only going to get into more trouble and that's not what you want. So, right, uh, right. or, or you could, you could phrase it as you're going to, you're risking winning the battle and losing the war. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that is absolutely right. And I think that's where I, I I'm going to land with this as we talk through it, because one of the things we see here is like, she's in this chapter, especially in the next chapter, she's like screaming out, like, listen to me here, like, take my advice, listen to my advice. And it's, it's what we know as good advice, especially when it comes to Amy and everyone's like, no, let's let someone else do it. Let's you trust a tattletale to handle this. Uh, I'm going to trust tattletale over you, which is a crazy thing to say, but it is, it is what Victoria has kind of done to herself, right? She's, she's built herself as this loose cannon. That's going to kind of go against the central authority and do what she needs to do. And, even when she is right, sometimes what it does is it alienates you from other people because people can't trust your judgment anymore. And so regardless of whether it's right, you are pushing people away from you. Yeah. And you are making you you are creating the situation in which you are screaming at people to listen to you and trust your judgment. And they're just like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think. I, I, I think that's what we're setting up here. I think that there, this, yeah. I, this idea that her her behavior, while sort of proximally the right move to solve this exact problem that's happening right now, is mm-hmm. strategically unwise. I mean, say what you want about Eric being a massive prick, but it was strategically unwise of her to 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 um, well to to argue with him at all, right? Like if if she wanted if she wanted to to handle the situation the way she wanted it to be handled then making him feel offended wasn't the smart thing to do i'm not saying sure. i'm not saying oh she should have been more polite to eric cuz it's like no i mean like to accomplish her own goals she should have been more polite to eric right like that's yeah. th- that's all i'm saying there's a two i want to be clear about that because like it's it's not like I'm saying morally she should have been nice to Eric. I'm saying instrumentally yeah. she should have been nice to Eric because now she's in a situation where she can't get what she want wants. So mm-hmm. yeah, and and we know that Victoria has been consistently worried about some other looming threat that is not this thing, right? Like she is she has convinced herself, and we'll find out later that Tattletale agrees with her that what is happening right now is not the thing that's gonna destroy everything. And she knows that. And okay, what if she figures out what that thing is? And then she goes to the wardens and says, I figured it out. It's this. And they're like, Victoria, we can't like, I I don't trust your judgment anymore. Exactly. Look at the way you've been behaving. And then suddenly it's like, oh, shit. So, yeah, I mean, I I do think I do think there is a there is win the battle, lose the war type of situation here. I I agree with you on that. Yeah, I can totally imagine that scene going down and Eric being like, yeah, and she used her power on me earlier. And yeah, right, right, right. So moving on from from Eric, I think now we begin what 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 is really a a very fun part of the story for me, where Victoria is flipping through the iCam views of her various teammates and it gives us an ability to rapidly get up to speed to feel like we're there on the battlefield 
even though our protagonist and point of view isn't. Um, mm-hmm. And we're also getting a lot of cool background color, stuff like Golem's story about Empire 88 trying to hook up Rune with him, followed by Rune being a piece of shit to Tristan. And um, basically, I, I actually just love the shit out of this tiny Tristan-centered interaction. Uh, it's 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 very short, but it's very tightly written. It packs a lot in there. It's, it's really great. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's really nice. I, I really... I'm continuing to enjoy the budding golem rain friendship that we're seeing. It's my favorite thing. Um, and, and the Tristan stuff is really great. I think it, it, it adds color to rune in a, in an interesting way. Like Victoria has been negative on this character for a while. And now we're kind of seeing that her read on her was maybe closer than, uh, than anyone else's. Oh yeah. Rune, rune is still kind of a, kind of a dick, seems, kind of a total seems dick. Pretty, pretty awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I do think I do think my favorite part of all of this, though, is in this moment, Victoria looks at Tristan and sees a bit of herself and what she's going she's going through. Right. She says, I could relate to the loneliness that seemed to surround him now. No teammates in immediate reach, possibly because the group had been told to keep their distance from one another until further evaluation or checks. No reconciliation, uh, which is a perfect. I didn't know that Cape's name was reconciliation. And that's just perfect. Yeah, that's awesome. But, uh, I had, I had no idea how he got on with his parents, but I remembered it being bad last I heard. So she sees him as this isolated, alone person, just like her. And she's like, I can feel for this. And then Tristan just walks over to where Rain is, right? Yep. And Victoria is just like, oh, I guess he's not that alone. And she's happy for him. And I'm and and I'm not like I'm not attacking her. I think she's happy for him and that's good. But I do think this is just like further isolating for her, right? Like she sees a kindred spirit interest in this moment. He's just as alone as I am. We're both alone. That is something we have in common. And it's like, oh wait, my team is still leaning on each other. My team is still supporting each other. They are not alone. They are together. It's just me. It's just me. They have each other. I have right. none of them. I, I think that's wonderful yeah. i love that the story like does that i really really like it yeah it's explicitly denying that she can even find camaraderie in 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 mutual isolation yeah no they're they're off being a team together basically and uh interacting with other people yeah. and you're stuck in here with fucking eric yeah so. and i think it also helps explain you know why she is so willing to clearly break the rules because because she's desperate for this interaction with them yeah, she's yeah, going to get it any way she can. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I also love the exchange between Dot and Angle and Sveta, which is seamless, seamlessly worked in with Sveta antagonizing the shit out of Amy, just crawling right up her ass. I, I love it. I, I really, I really do love this whole part as as we're switching between the, the monitors and I mean, like this, this it, it's it's all. I think it's all uh, particularly well written and and tightly written and it just it it's this continuous series of, of of events that is rapidly bringing us up to speed with this scene and you know we're we're constantly aware that we're watching this through through eye cams but also right. we do feel like we're there yeah yeah and i want to spend some time on what sveta is doing here because i think this is this is really i think you're right it's really great and i, I want to talk about it for a while we've seen several times throughout the story that sveta has always been the one that has victoria's back right like the the first moment that jumps out to my mind when i think of this is sveta like raking carol over the coals um in that that dinner conversation with the four of them um she's victoria's best friend in both name and meaning she is the best and i, I think the way this this 
conversation goes down as evidence of this because Sveta is not only unafraid to call Amy out on her shit, pointing out the obvious discrepancies between her being someone who has complete control, but also someone who is like constantly being like, can you guys stop talking? I'm trying to concentrate, um, which is like an inherent contradiction. And Sveta uh, like just beautifully calls her out on it. But also she's using Dot in the exact way that Victoria suggests that the wardens do so, right? Playing up to her a moral childlike understanding to reveal certain truths about Amy that Amy would prefer to keep hidden. Um, and, and she's doing this like Sveta wasn't in the room when Victoria specifically said this to the wardens and reminded them about it. But she's attentive. She knows her friend and she's listened to what her friend has said about the stuff before. And so she's using it in the exact way Victoria does. And I think that's wonderful. I agree. It's very smart, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's always nice to see that even the side characters are are, you know, exercising agency and, and being clever. And, and you know, um, that's yeah. that's one. That's obviously, one element. I think I think we even talked about this in uh, in Worm. This just the idea that it's it, it. One thing that always makes a story feel particularly fleshed out and great is when um, the the background characters show that they've been going on with their lives. Um, when you haven't been paying attention, uh, yeah, which is yeah. kind of what's happening here. So Matt, I want to talk about dot for a little bit. Okay. Because we've had this character in the story for a long time, right? Uh-huh. Um, basically the third arc, she was, I think the, she was the interlude for the third arc. Right. And she's been that monster on Amy's shoulder, basically the entire story. We know she's basically amoral. We know she appreciates beauty or at least her version of beauty. She loves Sveta's arm tattoos, especially as a commonality with Amy's. So my question to you here is at this point, arc 17, what is Dot's role in the story? It, what it like symbolically, metaphorically, them, thematically, what, what is, what is she doing? Why is she here? Why was this character created and put into this world? Oh, well, just drop that on me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I put it in the script. You could have read it beforehand. Yeah, I, I think I did. I think I did read it. And then I just was like, oh, that's a good question. I like it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's valuable to have a literal amoral point of view sometimes to to uh, to, to act as a mirror. I mean, I, th- I think that her role, it could, I mean, so, so on a simple level, it's to, it's it's to serve exactly the function that it is serving in the story of of just being um a mirror to be held up to Amy's terrible uh behavior and mm-hmm. and habits and like there there's a lot going on with with Amy that and there've been some great reddit comments this week um one in particular that that basically uh talked about Amy as an abuser as a specific kind of abuser who follows kind of very well-defined patterns of behavior. Um, and others have pointed out that she, you know, that, that Amy's a, a narcissist. Uh, I forget the other uh, designation that someone, that someone applied to her that seemed to fit really well. But, but basically all of the, in all these different, in all these different contexts, I think it can be valuable to have a kind of n- neutral, disinterested third party, just, say out loud the things that a person like that is doing because then they can't maneuver around it anymore. Um, so, so, so maybe that's part of what it is. I'm, I'm obviously spitballing here. Yeah, no, I I think, I think that's exactly right. That was, that was my take on it. And, and I mean, the fun part is that it's both textual, like in the world of the story, that is the point she serves, but also in from a thematic role, I think that's the, 
the thing she's serving as well, because I, I do think dot represents a very specific window into Amy's thoughts in a way, like not literally, of course, but thematically, like I, I love this, this, like the fact that she loves the kind of beauty that Amy creates is almost almost a literal extension of if like you put a mouth on Amy's brain without any filter in front of it, that's what dot would be. And I think that's really interesting because like that, like that shows an amorality that is quite disturbing. Like I like this, this moment where, where dot whispers into Sveta's ear about like everyone should tattoo themselves. Everyone should make themselves beautiful. She says, everyone should do it, fill in the canvas. And I just feel like that is on some primal level, um, something that Amy wants. Um, and, and dot represents that. I and like that. Yeah. I think that's really great. And, and I, I think I'm going to like, I've always been fascinated by dot as a character. Um, you know, back when, back when we didn't know what Amy's role was going to be in the story specifically, I had a different interpretation of her, but now as we've kind of seen that shift, um, I think she's filling this, this different kind of role. And I, I'm going to be paying very, very close attention to her as we continue through, uh, the story. I like that idea. I mean, the way we've seen Amy thinks is if if she has sort of an inappropriate thought, then she has to like repackage and rearrange it into something acceptable. Yeah. And, and 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 it's, it's an activity that takes up a huge amount of energy actually. And like, you can almost see it happening in this chapter. Like when Sveta will say something and Amy will like pause for a second and then, and then think of some bullshit to say that, yeah. that makes it so she, she doesn't have to think about that anymore yep yep um but dot is like the f- the first inappropriate thought and then doesn't bother with any of the of the subsequent bullshitting because right. she just is who she, who she is and there's right. a kind of purity in that even if what she is is a literal uh goblin um, yeah and i mean this ties back to the the theory i had back in the amy interludes that these people that she surrounded herself were you know her figurative masks but I mean, like, I think I think Amy would want to reject this idea that Dot serves as that. And she'd be like, no, this isn't me. And my response to that would be, well, why are you keeping her around then? Like you made the decision, right? Like you made the decision to take in this creature and not only take her in, but like keep her with you at all times, become a part of you almost. You've made this choice. So like, I think it's absolutely fair to take that creature's behavior and track that onto your thought process and your behavior because if you weren't happy with the way the creature was behaving or with the way the creature thought about things you wouldn't keep it around yeah yeah very very true yeah i mean dot is just as much one of her bad influences that she intentionally keeps around herself as mm-hmm. marquis or um or chris yeah yeah mm-hmm. i think you're right all right. Uh, before we move on, I just want I just want to put out in the world that we have to do this. Sveta is currently out in the field with her ex-boyfriend, his current new girlfriend. OK, we don't actually know that, but come on. Yeah. Um, and also two case 53s that don't really like her all that much. And yet she's still being an amazing badass. Like, yeah, it's awesome. Right. It's yeah. Awesome. I mean, I mean, it, it's it's funny because if anything, the the stress that this is putting her under is just making her a little bit more hard edged, but, but she's making it work for her. Right. Like, yeah. like normally I don't think of, I think of Sveta as being 
the the calm the calmer one um but here she's absolutely going after amy hard and maybe some of that is is like just god damn it egg is right over there i'm so (laughs) i fucking hate egg so much but i'm going to channel that in a productive direction um i think so yeah Yeah. and i think we kind of see that in the next chapter when uh you could argue that maybe she's going a little too hard (laughs) yeah yeah uh speaking of egg somebody says hatch so egg begins his changer transformation i guess <laughs> hatching into some kind of horrible thing that i'm sure will be subjected to later um scott what is what is what does it mean when he says nah she's herself so are her sisters what i don't know what? i don't want to know this is vintage horrifying wild bow yeah where he just like super casually introduces this thing to us and then just just moves on yeah. and we're just like just supposed to be like oh okay yeah i guess that's a thing that's in this world now yeah egg is gonna hatch she out of himself and she has sisters uh-huh. <laughs> what? <laughs> what yeah it's horrifying yeah I, I think it's like i said when we first were introduced to nursery and i was and i was like um slurpy sounds coming from inside creepy bassinets to me is 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 far creepier than anything that could ever actually happen um of course Mm -hmm. nursery's power turns out to be really horrifying but i I actually do think it's horrifying in a different way than the possibility of some creepy thing you know so yeah Yeah. um i I like i like this state of not knowing what egg's power is i'm sure whatever it is is going to be fucked up and great but but I, i i like where we are right now too it's a fun place to be, right? It's a fun place to be where you, like your 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 own imagination can is almost worse than reality sometimes and you just you get just enough to imagine horribleness. Yes. Um so I mean I, we're eventually going to find out I'd wager, but I, I almost like this moment better than the eventual reveal. Yeah. Then again, Wildbow has proven that the reveals are just so disgusting. Yeah. So it's 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 great. It's great. Yeah. So Kenzie, having previously become aware that Victoria is looking in, privately communicates with her. Um, hey, Scott, uh, thank goodness that Kenzie only just started monitoring Victoria and definitely wasn't monitoring her for the previous hour or so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Not at all. Entirely unaware of what Vicky and, and Annalise did, right? Yeah. Just just totally didn't totally. watch that happen. Yeah, right. At all. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, <laughs> there is this moment we see in this chapter where, like, her and Chicken Little's knees are touching and she's like humming excitedly. And I couldn't help but like link her being aware that Victoria was just banging to <laughs> the physical contact she's making with Chicken Little and uh, Kenzie. Yeah. For, for, for everything. Yeah. Yeah. But here we have little enabler Kenzie who basically comes in and says, Hey, if you want to communicate with everyone, I can make that happen. Yep. <laughs> and Victoria's like, Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I, I, like not, not only that, right. But she asks her if she wants to help coordinate the team, which is more or less putting her in command of the team. So like for those of you scoring at home, Kenzie has just offered a way for Victoria to do something. She was specifically told by Eric not to do for the exact reasons she was told by Armstrong. She shouldn't do it because Armstrong said communication is tantamount to uh, leadership again to assuming a leadership role and that wouldn't look good. Right. Um, and so he's proving her, she's proving him right by that, by, by saying, yes, I'm going to help coordinate. I'm going to take a de facto leadership role of this. And of course, Victoria immediately turns down Kenzie's offer because she's 
a very respecting of authority type person. Yeah, right? and and, right? and she says, Kenzie, it's it's wrong of you to offer that. And yeah, um, and really that's that's crossing some boundaries. That's the kind of behavior that's going to get you in trouble, Kenzie. You really shouldn't be uh, going behind people's back like that. Wait, no, none of that happens. No, this is the exact opposite yeah. of that happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if, if this, the significance of this moment, I think, is that she goes beyond uh, being willing to break the rules for her own part and basically roping Kenzie into her scheming, which, mm-hmm. which, is, which is somewhat crossing a line and is, something, is behavior that I feel is surprising coming from Victoria. Like, like, this isn't them scheming against goddess or something. This is them. Th- right. This is the wardens. Right, right. Especially since we've, it's been established in this book that Kenzie is very suggestible, especially when it comes to the people that she looks up to as much as Victoria, yeah. right? Like the, 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 the horrifying moment in Victoria's head was when Kenzie read the fake diary and thought it was real and then thought that that kind of behavior was acceptable. Yeah. Victoria was terrified of that, was terrified of that. And now here's a moment where she's just like, yeah, just uh, go behind all these people's backs for me. Yeah. Sure. Great. Let's do it. Right. Yep. Um, so Victoria communicates that she thinks that the Amy stuff is a red herring and Kenzie says Tattletail agrees. Yeah. And and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but and, and we've talked about it before on some past episodes, but we never really dwelled on it because, frankly, there's not much to say here yet other than. Who do you think it is? I don't know. Who do you think it is? I, I do think that I do think that it is very interesting and important that the text has basically been hitting this beat at least once per chapter in this entire arc. Right. Like Wild Bo is trying to make it very clear here that Victoria is worried about this, that, that they were being set up to understand that this is not the threat that everyone's worried about right now is not the one that they should be focused on. Um I think the only one that is fully conscious of the threat that they should be focused on is Eric, right? Because it's Victoria <laughs> and Eric's the only one focused on Victoria. Yeah. I mean, I mean, shit. <laughs> like I, I, I still like that as a theory, but who knows? There, there's, there's a lot of possibilities. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's the fun. That's the fun of reading this while it's being written. Right. We can, we, nobody knows. Yeah. Literally nobody knows. It's true. I guess one person does. Well, yeah, but I mean, do they? Yeah, maybe, maybe he's just making yeah, all this up as he right. goes. Maybe there's getting, maybe it's a dice roll thing. Yeah. Oh my god. Then then we'd have to listen to people. <laughs> Did you know that this was a dice roll? Uh, well, yeah, I will be getting emails forever. I see that comment in every single. I just finished worm thread <laughs> on the subreddit. Yeah, I mean, you can hardly blame people, but also, yeah. You're right. I mean, it is cool, but I think it is not as cool as <laughs> people make it out to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I also love this moment here uh, toward the end of the chapter where Tattletail is saying, I think jamming something that looks like a bunch of forks welded together into my eye is the sort of thing that makes headaches worse. It's painless, Kenzie said, and it's important. There was a pause. I could imagine that great Titanic agent working with crystals, drawing connections, pulling up data. Sure. um and that's and that's just great because yeah i i I almost like it's one of those things where you didn't even have to acknowledge the fact that she was using her power there but it's just i I just i just like that you see her figuring out what's going on and and kenzie that that's all kenzie had to say to her i just thought that was fun yeah yeah and i mean it's victoria acknowledging it as well It, it is it is 
the story showing that Victoria has a understanding of Tattletale that she has never had before. Um, yes. Yeah. To, to to modify my statement, I'm not saying that I don't like that Victoria thinks about that because exactly that that shows like, yeah, now there's a there's an understanding between the two of them that wasn't there before. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. 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 And we get the whole Victoria Tattletale team up 2.0, 3.0. How many how many point do we have? That's a here? good question. <laughs> I don't really know how to count them, but I, I love that this is a continuing thing throughout the story. So yeah, I do too. Especially since they started off on so on such opposite sides, and now Victoria is like, ah, yes, the only person I can trust. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seriously. All right. Let's get on to seventeen point eight. Yes. And Victoria starts off the chapter thinking this is going to be a juggling act. Well, good thing she has like ten arms now. Wow. That's. Wow. I mean, that's just confirmation that Victoria has been secretly typing with the wretch the whole time, right? That's how she's communicating. She's just, her hands are in her lap and the wretch is just typing away on the keyboard. That would be funny if we found that out. The funny part is that it's entirely possible that Victoria would do that and not even notice it at this point. That would be, uh, that would be interesting. Yeah. That would be an interesting twist. I, I don't think it's actually happening, but it would be very funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it would be oh, it would be sneaky, right? Because then no one would even see that she was typing. Although they'd yeah. probably hear it. But yeah, anyway. you just hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not at all creepy. Yeah. Uh, so most of this chapter is actually written from this roving Victoria camera point of view, uh, such that we feel like we're we're there, we're we're present at this confrontation as it unfolds, and we understand there are a bunch of hero capes present, and then there's a contingent of sheen capes. And uh, the Axis of Assholes shows up, too, uh, which is my name for the fallen and uh, prison escapees. That's great. I like it. I dub good. it the Axis of Assholes. Done. There. Good. Um, I, I agree. Like, the, I, this, this central structural idea of all the events of this chapter taking place in the point of view of someone observing it is an interesting one. And I think it matters a whole, whole bunch. Because... We're not really there, of course. Victoria isn't really there. Even though she's in communication with her team, there is still this this distance, literally and metaphorically, between Victoria and the scene she's witnessing. And that and the, the difference here, I think, is this idea of control, right? Victoria is not there, and therefore she isn't in control of these situations. And we see throughout this chapter that even, even if we feel at times we're in the point of view of someone who literally there in the scene when stuff starts to go down, that lack of control really, really frustrates her. She sees conversations going in directions she doesn't want it to, and she wants to be able to step in and write them. I I would do it this way. Tattletail's doing it this way. I wouldn't do it that this way. I would do it this way. Sveta is talking to Amy. No, you can't do it that way. So, like, once again, we have this... She's alone. She's cut off. And she's frustrated and she's trying to assert her control over the situations wherever she can. And when she's not able to, she gets more and more and more agitated. Yeah, I mean, there's situations here where I feel like if she were actually present, she wouldn't necessarily think it was as big a deal as she appears to think from her from her, um, you know, um, distant point of view. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, yeah. Like, like the like the Kinsey stuff. I mean, okay. I, I guess I, I get that Kinsey just went through this horrible night. Everything, everything that Victoria says is factually accurate. Um, 
but but also like Tattletail's got it covered, right? You yeah, know? I mean, you, I think I think at some point you need to you need to trust in the people around to the, to handle it, and like I think it is when we get to ta- the way Tattletail handles it. Yeah. I mean, I think Victoria is frustrated specifically because I wouldn't have done it that way. Well, just because you wouldn't have done it that way doesn't mean it's not the, a good way or an acceptable way right. to handle it. And she it's just it's all about control. Right. Like it's 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 not the way she did it. She doesn't have control over the way it's being done. And that frustrates her. Yeah. So so I I, I think it's unfair. And, and you weren't saying this. I'm just for myself saying, like, I think it's unfair to to say Victoria is a control freak. I think I think Carol's a control freak. Um, but I think that, I think that the, the headspace that Victoria is in right now is the closest we've ever seen to her being a control freak. Like she, sure, she, sure. she can't stand that she isn't in control. And it, cause in, in the past there've been situations where she wasn't in control and it wasn't fantastic, but it, it neither, neither did it like cause her to yell at people. Yeah. Um, and, and right now, like you, like you pointed out, um, the lack of control and the feeling of a lack of control and the lack of connections to people and the isolation is just making her kind of lose it. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't, I would not have labeled her as a control freak either. Um, and also I think that the great thing about this book is that Victoria's issues with control, just like Carol's issues with control come naturally from the things she's gone through. Like it's just, it's, there's such well constructed characters that like, it's not just wild, said this character is going to have control issues we built the reasons for why those issues would develop. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is essentially rational for them from within their point of view. Yeah. 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 So, uh, as we're watching Sveta continues to address Amy, despite Amy having backed off. So basically Sveta's yelling across a distance to her. Yeah. And Victoria can immediately tell that she's like agitating her too much. <laughs> like, like we said, last chapter, last chapter, Sveta don't put up with no shit yep. right now. And uh, yeah, maybe she is, like you said, a little more barbed because of the people she's surrounded with. But unfortunately, that is not the way to win Amy over. I, I-, I want to give credit to Victoria here because we were being very critical of her in these couple chapters because I think she's behaving in not the best ways. But she does attempt to communicate her back off and relax message to Sveta through legit channels first, right? She doesn't immediately go, fuck this, I'm doing it myself. She tries to go through the legit channels. She tries to go to Eric and say, please relay this message. Uh, he doesn't. I, I, so I want to give her, I want to give her credit for that. Yeah. Yeah, t- totally. Absolutely. I, I think so. I, yeah. I mean, I think there is, there is a risk that we're coming down too hard on her, but I think that the, the purpose of all of this is that we don't want to m- miss pointing out the fact that this is unusual behavior for Victoria. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would never, I, I would never have pegged Victoria as like totally submissive to authority, but certainly more so than a lot of other characters in this world, right? Like we, we've jokingly called Victoria the cop before, and that's because the idea of law and authority are things that were important to Victoria. And it is a change to see her dismiss them as readily as she's doing. Sure. I mean, the first tier of her mantra has always been what the, the do what the authorities say or, or the, the law specifically, what right. the law says. And, right. and, and here like law has sort of been thrown up into the air such that you could interpret the law to mean like, okay, well, the, the, the people who are in, in a position of power and responsibility over you, which would be someone like Scenario or, or, or Narwhal. Yeah. And she has decided that she 
she ain't gonna do it she's not gonna do yeah. that she's gonna not listen so and I, I do think it's important to to remind everyone that she did submit herself to that authority at the beginning of this arc right like they had a choice whether or not to submit themselves to the authority yeah or not yeah and they they chose to exactly yes and then she decided she wasn't happy with it anymore because they benched her. So, mm-hmm. yep. Do you, I mean, I, I kind of like as much as I, I freely want to call Eric a prick again. I do. If you take a second, like understand why he would not be like raring to relay messages from Victoria to the battlefield. Right. Because like. I mean, obviously her input about Amy is completely correct and actually totally helpful in this situation. We find that out at the end of the chapter. But also she's the girl that threatened to kill her during negotiations. And the wardens might not feel great about her taking about taking advice when it comes to Amy. Right. Sure. Like, so I, I totally get I totally get why Eric and even Armstrong, to a certain extent, will look at it and go, yeah, I mean, maybe you weighing in on this isn't the best right now. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if we, I, I think that's, we spent a lot of time talking about this idea last week too. Like if you take off your protagonist goggles and you just kind of watch these characters interacting and think about what each of them knows about each of the other ones, um, Eric and, and Armstrong for that matter are both more or less behaving rationally when they're, when they're skeptical of, of Victoria and especially when she's like yelling and, swatting people with her force field and stuff so mm-hmm. yeah gently matt she did it gently yeah i don't i don't know i don't think it even said she did it gently did it i, I mean i might be wrong she, she she says she says above all else it was gentle oh, okay. she says that okay. so uh, i don't know whether she's reinforcing that to convince herself or that's just she was factually stating it but okay. we have to say it because we can't we don't want to put something in there that that's wasn't true. there that's true so. that's true I didn't remember that detail though, so I'm I'm having to recalculate some things. <laughs> um, yeah, so sorry. Um, there there was an exchange in here that we're overhearing, uh, where where Sveta says, uh, speaking as someone who spent far too long being an actual monster, I could see Egg shift position where he stood a little distance away from Sveta. Uh, you can't see me, but I'm nervously tugging at my collar here. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tact, Sveta. Maybe, maybe learn some tact. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, basically, we're just, I feel like we're further building up this tension between, between the two of them in the background. Like, sure. Like, I, I mean, th- from, from Egg's perspective, this is insult to injury. This fact that he, he hates her. She's betrayed them. Now she's, she's double betrayed them by getting her body fixed, such as she's not, she's literally not one of them anymore, as far as he's concerned. Mm-hmm. And, now she's like she's she's verbally distancing herself from them saying i'm i'm not a monster anymore you yeah. you guys are though <laughs> yeah yeah the, the, those k-53s are monsters like exactly fortunately i got out of that um yeah i i totally agree and and that's what i kind of love about all this because throughout this chapter we see um we see like all this this like complicated shit going down tristan is dealing with with rune being terrible sveta is hanging out with her ex-boyfriend and case 53 people um and and 
like that's a tense situation. Later, we see Kenzie will almost go down, like would make things really uncomfortable with Chicken Little again to the point where that might be a a, a breaking situation. Um, these are like all extremely delicate situations, and Victoria does not have control over any of them, right? Like she cannot help. She's not there. Yeah. Um, and she can try to communicate and try to steer the conversation, but that's very that's very removed. It is not direct control. She's not used to being in this situation. And, and you can see that she's noting all these tense situations and can't do anything about it. Oh yeah. Perfectly. Yeah. I mean the, the fact that the chapter, the, the chapter primes us by saying it was, it's going to be, it's going to be juggling because mm-hmm. there, there are all these hot potatoes um, all over the place. Yeah. And, and it's gotta be just even more frustrating. Not only can she not, take a hand in the situation with Amy directly, but she, like you just said, can't take a hand in all these other little micro sub situations that are just completely fraught with possibility to explode. And yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's frustrating for her. It's frustrating for us. It's, it's tense for us because we, we know exactly what all of this means. It's really, mm-hmm. really just great setup, I think. Yeah. And we know, I mean, this is, this has been her role in her team from the beginning, right? Like the, if if you would have asked her, she'd be like balancing and dealing with the problems of her team and helping them before they get too bad. was like her role. And now she's been kind of like forcefully removed from that and uh, not comfortable with it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we get some fun wordplay as Amy details how she agrees that parahumans are rotten eggs who need to be rounded up into a basket so, so they can be <laughs> sent to a nice farm in the country, I guess. Yeah, it's really great. My favorite part about this, though, is how Victoria swoops in with more wordplay that is like basically saying, oh, so like a garbage can. So like you're the garbage can and also a basket case. (laughs) Yeah. Like if Victoria wasn't in a room filled with people that would have gotten mad at her for using her power, I think she totally would have activated the wretch and high five herself (laughs) on that. Uh, No, I can't wait to see her high five herself. (laughs) Yeah, like it's like that's a great fucking metaphor, Amy. If you have a few thousand rotten eggs, the only basket anyone rational to put them in is the waste basket. You're calling yourself a trash can. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's so good. Oh, uh, it's it's so great. I so I know like I know we've talked Amy to death, right? I, we like uh, we've talked about Amy and and how she structures things and and how she worms her way out of any guilt or blame. But I just love that this whole conversation real is it really here is classic Amy right here. Sveta's entire argument during this thing is like, look, why would Shin trust you? Would you trust yourself? And Amy hesitates for just a bit. Um, and, and like you said earlier, like it's one of those moments where you can see her kind of like you can see her the the wheels in her head turning to kind of try to justify some bullshit she's about to say. Um, but then she's then she goes down this road of, well, if you're backed into a corner and had no other options, then yeah, they would totally, they would totally trust me, which is like, it's such a, it's, it's such bullshit. First of all, that's not what trust means. Right. They would, they would have to go with you. That doesn't mean they trust you. Um, Right. And it's also like, as, as Moonsong of all people immediately pulls out, like they didn't, they didn't get rid of all the other options first. Like yeah. there, there was all these other options they could have gone with before being forced to trust you. <laughs> and that's a good point. And Amy's response in the classic Amy way is to just say, well, we could debate that forever, which 
is her just basically shutting down the debate, right? It's like saying, yeah. right. you haven't even started debating it yet. Right. You just said, yeah, well, we could debate yeah. this forever. I refuse to address this. Let's move on. Yeah. And it's just like, right. Amy. Yeah, you've you've made a good point, and um, I don't have a rebuttal, and thus um, I'm not going to respond to that. Yeah. And then she just leaves. Yeah. Someone whispers in her ear, and she just, boop. Uh, I know that we have a really intense situation where two sides are about to come to blows with each other, but I'm just going to walk away. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be uh, controlling all these giant scary flesh monsters, too, but I got to go take a cigarette break or whatever. They've got their imperatives. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's an intentional parallel here in terms of um, would would they trust you with something like this? Would you trust yourself to, to to basically say, Victoria... Why would the wardens trust you in this situation? Would you trust yourself right now? Uh, yes. Okay. I do. I do. And and, and I don't want to like. I think that when you when you start drawing parallels between Amy and Victoria, you're, you're always in danger of like equating the bad things that they're doing, right? Which is not what I want to do at all. Amy is awful. I think we've established on the show that our view on Amy is this person is the worst. Um, but I do I do think that those the echo of those beats are there. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I mean, they're, they're, I think in this moment, they are actually two people who are spiraling. And yeah, there may be nothing else uh, in common between them. But it, it, you're not committing a, a crime by pointing out that they do have that in common right now. I, I think at yeah. least. I, 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 I absolutely I think by the time we're done with the story, I wonder how much of it we're going to be able to see in the similarity of some of their beats throughout it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting point. Yeah. It might be something productive to think about actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So Tattletale then begins communicating directly with Victoria, uh, and they get the snark out of the way and then they efficiently move on to business. Yeah. I mean, you gotta start with the snark, Matt. <laughs> if these two ever stop snarking each other, I'm going to assume one of them is an Amy clone or just, pretender yeah yeah speaking speaking pretender where is that guy yeah he could be anywhere could be anywhere remember when victoria is like apparently a cosmic power that gave her incredible insights didn't help her grasp my sarcasm or she was just like asking acting like it didn't to annoy me yeah it's definitely that second one victoria do you know (laughs) telltale at all (laughs) yeah they 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 understand each other better now but still still not not 100 percent there yet Probably the second. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely the second, Vicky. Come yeah, on. Yeah. Uh, so Citrine then shows up in the Situation Room, and she's in mourning, but she's keeping it together. Yeah, I love Victoria's description of her as, like, this perfectly put-together person who's also, like, but still very pale and weak-looking, even though she's, like, perfectly put together. Like, she's obviously suffering. She's not doing great. Uh, Number Dad's death really actually did affect her. Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, I, I thought she was also injured in the explosion, but, um, yeah. It's, yeah, she was, I believe, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I when she showed up, I, I was actually, for a second, I was like, oh, if, I forgot about her. Like, that, that's, that's one thing that Contessa went out of her way to do was, um, ruin Citrine's life specifically yeah um, yeah I mean I mean not I mean there's all kinds of reasons that she might have wanted to kill number man but here we have one of the main reasons is like okay well now Citrine is in a mental state where she might be a little bit more volatile than otherwise um true so you know just you know um, um dangerous thing watch uh 2019 it's also I think 
important that she is a cape who now has entered the scene um, where Victoria was mostly surrounded by humans. Yeah. Um, not that there aren't other capes in the situation room. I'm pretty sure they are. But in Victoria's direct vicinity, we don't really see anyone but this collection of three or four humans and now Citrine. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So there's a fun beat as Victoria realizes that Kenzie is doing tons of different things and communicating with various people and hacking computers uh, while appear- appearing to just kind of like mill around and not be doing any of those things. So um, that's kind of awesome. Yeah, I mean, we're told that she's specifically altering video and sound feeds to make it appear like she's not doing all these things, uh-huh. which we've now entered day number 577 of Scott being worried about Kenzie. Yes. <laughs> but question. Uh-huh. Dragon. Yeah. Is Dragon aware of what's going on here? Because here are the two choices. Dragon is listening in on all these conversations and has decided that she's cool with it. Or Kenzie has found a way to block out Dragon from observing the stuff that she's doing. For a second. Which is which is scary as shit. Yeah. So for a second, I was like, oh, Dragon's totally on to all this shit. And, and then I remembered like, well, Dragon's not omnipotent. Like she she may have like sub AIs who who like monitor Internet traffic. But Kenzie's whole specialty is counter espionage, basically. So. I could I could buy I could buy that Victoria uh, that Kenzie has outflanked Dragon. Um, mm-hmm. the, I, but I will admit my first thought was like, why are they even doing this? This is stupid. Dragon is going to catch them doing this. Um, mm-hmm. But what, I mean, we don't actually know <laughs> uh, whether or not that's the case, though. So um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Dragon letting them do it comforts me. Yeah, <laughs> K- Kenzie. Beating dragon uh-huh. scares scares me a whole uh-huh. lot because dragon's pretty. Last I checked, that dragon chick, she's pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah, she's she's good. Yeah, I can see it going either way. I guess is, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of Kenzie, here's this almost big blow up over Kenzie invading Aiden's personal space. Yeah, and and as we talked about before. We're seeing this from Victoria's point of view, and she can't interject. She can't help out. She tries, and she's rejected. Tattletail ends up being the one to step in, but not in the way Victoria would have done it. It's more blunt, less gentle. Another instance of Victoria not having control and being upset about it. Yeah, it's it's true. It forced me to wonder, like, Victoria is aware of the fact that she can't really, she's not a Kinsey whisperer. Um mm-hmm. It's interesting to consider that maybe that's just because Victoria's whole mode of approaching her is is just not the right one. And in this case, she really should actually back off and let someone else maybe take a stab at it. Like maybe maybe Tattletail's bluntness is exactly what Kenzie needs. Like if, if Kenzie's someone who has trouble understanding social boundaries, then maybe she could even appreciate somebody just being like, hey, you're doing this thing. It's It's annoying to people. You need to stop it. Like, like, yeah, uh, I, I'm not saying that that's necessarily th- the fact of, of the matter, but um, it's interesting to consider that maybe maybe she needs to step back and let like maybe maybe she's yeah. better off with Telltale. Well, and, and I mean, we don't know the whole situation, so I don't want to speculate too much, but it seems like Tattletale's method here forces Chicken Little to talk about it and to and to share with Kenzie and to make her understand 
Um, and then Victoria is like incessantly emailing Tattletale about it. Yeah. To the point where, of course, Kenzie's listening in on this stuff. And then we have this great moment where Kenzie like is so embarrassed by Victoria casually talking with Lisa about these very intimate moments of of Kenzie's life. So, I mean, again, I don't want to speculate too far, but I'm curious if Victoria made it worse here uh-huh. by talk like by by like needing to interject to a point where she, she was having a whole conversation with someone else about Kenzie's personal stuff um that just compounded the issue whereas if she had just truly let Tattletail take it would it have would it have been better in the long run and there's really no way to know the answer to that question but I think it's worth thinking about yeah yeah no I, I agree um I, th- I think that's I think I, I think you're exactly right like to that Victoria's kind of constantly poking her head into all these different places and Tattletail's attitude is probably like, I got it. Mm-hmm. I got it. No big deal. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's a good point. So then Victoria butts heads with Eric um, when he won't let her just call Kenzie directly to help sort it out. And, uh, and then at this point, <laughs> Eric responds with like a, a um, like what sounds like a prepared speech. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Th- like I'm sure he wasn't just stewing over this in his head for like the whole hour that she was gone. Oh, he totally was. Yeah. It's, it's great. Let's spend some time on the speech. Cause I think it's really interesting to kind of pick this apart. So here's what he says. He says, believe it or not, Victoria, the world doesn't revolve around you. The wardens are busy. They took the time to review your situation. They made their call. I got what you got, and that's all we get until they have a spare few minutes to give us more. The difference between us is I have Scenario's trust. I've worked with her for a little while now. She likes me because when I make assumptions, I make the right ones. I know how she thinks. I'm making a judgment call that these continued restrictions are what she would want, and that she'd want to vet any statements you make with all necessary context before you letting you unduly influence your team. So, it's a little rude, a little prickish, because it's Eric. But it clued me in on something, and I want to talk to you about this a little bit. Let's do it. Because Victoria is here at a table with a bunch of other non-capes, and and yes, we have, um, uh, wow, I just forgot her name. The mayor, what's her name? Scenario, uh, God, that's not right, Citrine. Yeah, that's a, a scenario is what popped in my head, and I knew that wasn't right, <laughs> but I couldn't remember. Citrine, thank you. Um, she's sitting at a bunch of tables with other non-capes. She's having to sit there and watch the capes go out in the field and do their thing, and she's behind a computer, powerless to really do anything about it. She hasn't been giving, given concrete information. She's entirely at their whim regarding what information she'll be giving next. She's on the outside looking in. She's experiencing what it's like to be a human in a world of capes. Is, is what, what I think we got to, right? Bec- and here's the part that really cemented that to me. They'll, I got what you got, and that's all we will get until they have a spare few minutes to give us more. Which is just, like, that is what being a human in this world is, right? Like, the capes are off doing these things, and they are going to share with us, the normal people, what they want when they feel like doing it. And we just have to basically be at their beck and call, be at their whim. That is what being a human in this world is. And that is what Victoria is experiencing right now. And it's frustrating the fuck out of her. Yeah. I mean, literally not allowed to use her powers. She right. is, She's, you know, yeah. no, no quote unquote better than a human right now. Um, but of course, she still thinks of herself as playing in, in you know, this higher league and they should be listening to her. Damn it. Don't they know who she is? Right. Um, like, 
I, I think Weblo could have made this speech even more prickish, right? Like, like sure, he, sure, he's yeah. he's being he's being aggressive, but he's being aggressive because he like that's the dynamic they have now. Yeah, <laughs> he's not going to be conciliatory because he knows she's not going to be conciliatory. Like at, yeah. at this point, they're enemies basically. Yeah, and I mean, he's talking himself up in a very specific way. Like, yeah. I she I have her trust. I when I make assumptions, I make the right ones. That that's the part that I feel like comes off a little prickish. Sure. Like, like I know what I'm talking about because I am Eric. But yeah, I mean, I, I I think there's probably just some factual truth to that, right? Like, there's a reason why he was given this role, presumably. Um, maybe not. Maybe it's literally just we didn't have anyone else, and there's this intern here. But I don't know. It seems like there's a reason for it. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like there's I don't know how, how many people there are in this room, actually, but it, it does kind of seem like somebody else would have spoken up and been like, you know, Eric, you know, sit down and shut up. You're you're speaking above your station if if that was indeed the case. Right. And and let's remind ourselves we have Armstrong here. Right. Yeah. And in this instance, Victoria once again looks to Armstrong for support. And while Armstrong is maybe a little more on her side in this instance than he was in the earlier one, he basically is just like. Hey, I understand what you mean. I get why that's frustrating. Uh, I will support you if you want to appeal the decision. But for now, just chill. Yeah. And don't do anything. Just wait a few minutes. Uh, Chevalier is supposed to check in in like 15 minutes and maybe they'll have some time at that point to review your case. And and I will I will help you with your appeal. So just just chill. Yeah. Don't no. don't contravene the orders for 15, <laughs> 15 minutes, please. Can't do it. Can't no, do it. Right. Um, so like as Victoria is trying to like justify why she needs to call Kenzie, of course, Kenzie's probably listening into this and hearing everything that Victoria would have said to her anyway, except, yeah. except without the softening that Victoria would have provided. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically Victoria gives this tirade about what a terrible state Kenzie's in and, and why, and all the terrible things that have happened to her recently. Um, and of course, Kenzie's also aware of the text info that Victoria is sending to Tattletale. So like, I mean, I think it's funny because Victoria would definitely be softening all this stuff when, if she were going to say it to Kenzie, but as it is, Victoria's just getting the, uh, Kenzie's just getting like the, the raw, the raw impression that yeah. Victoria has of her. And, and what I like about how Wildbow did this is she's like going off on Eric with her rant about Kenzie and then Kenzie's voice cuts into the text right and she had been speaking the whole time but like it's almost as if the the i think the text specifically says the tone of kenzie's voice cutting in um in her brain makes her stop and 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 it's like this realization that oh shit she's probably listening to everything i'm saying right, right now well so my it's funny because i'm i don't know if this is terribly supported but kenzie says like she says listening right isn't that what she says yeah and the people and it's, it's finishing a thought that she's talking about. Right. I think. Yeah. So the, the people in the scene interpret it as she's telling them or she's telling chicken little cool it. People are listening. You know, we're making a scene, but my brain went to like, she's sort of sub communicating to Victoria. I'm listening to you right now. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Which I don't, I don't know if that's actually there, but I, that, that's where, that's where I kind of took it. I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah, I didn't I didn't make that connection myself, but I, I, I like it. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> um, basically, 
uh, Tattletail kind of walks Darlene away from the situation, says, come on, extra cookie for you for not stabbing Lookout with a pen. And you're not grounded anymore. Knife, Darlene said. I try to always keep a knife now. I would have shot you if it came to that. You would have tried. <laughs> so good. It's terrifying. <laughs> Darlene is so scary. Every time Darlene says anything, I see her back in the, the fight with Cradle's people just like demolishing fools. Yeah. And it terrifies me. I know. She's she's great. <sighs> Don't worry. She's carrying a knife now. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the, that, that's the perfect thing is like she won that fight and didn't even have a knife, I'm pretty sure. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Now she's unstoppable, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. So so one more thing I wanted to focus on this Kenzie stuff. And this is one of those things that's really obvious, but I think is worth exploring generally because we have this great conversation where Victoria is talking to Tattletale about Kenzie getting her period, which is awkward. And Kenzie interjects with embarrassing, which uh-huh. spelled wrong, which is a great, which is a beautiful little touch. I love that um, because I can't fucking spell embarrassing right either. So how would a 12 year old be able to? But um, I, I just want to talk about like how Wild Bo has visually structured what what Kenzie says, because first of all, it's always all caps. Right. And there's no there's no real reason to do it that way, like in the book. Right. Like she could just talk in lowercase if she wanted to, but the wild bow made the decision to make Kenzie Tex all caps. And I think it's so, it's actually just, it's a small little choice that is so important to like reading the emotion behind the stuff she's saying, right? Like if you take this, this rant, like where she says, I mean, chicken little telling me I do all these things. I don't know. I stand too close and I lose my breath and I thought everything was going super well. And it isn't, it never is. Ha ha. And everyone's watching. I see the faces on the webcam. Like it, it comes off totally differently uppercase than it does lowercase totally, and yeah. this is something that i think he established you know a long long time ago with, with kenzie's speech interjections here when people looking at cameras or when people have eye stuff is going to be all caps and it's just like like you don't think about stuff like that because it's so obvious like it's it and simple it's like yeah obviously that would be the way but that had someone had to at one point make a conscious decision to do it that way. And I just think it's worth drawing attention to it because I think it adds so much to the flavor of who this character is. I'm pretty sure, uh, when she was super sad about the fact that she knew she was going to be losing a member of breakthrough and she was talking to Misha in his Mac, she was using like all lowercase and and that created a completely different effect of of her, Mm -hmm. of her just being completely downtrodden and and morose so yeah i agree that this is you know this is a choice and it and it has like like, like the the way you read it just now in this kind of like frenetic fast-paced voice like yeah that's that's how my brain read it too Mm -hmm. um yeah and and like the little the little emojis and stuff which are basically like inauthentic like she's not really it's she doesn't really think it's funny she's it, it hurts right right and then of course we end this whole thing like Victoria replies, I'm sorry, your team wants to take care of you, so let them, okay? Candy's bringing a blanket and Tats is getting treats for after lunch. I'll be here as much as I can. And she gets in response, a literal emoji, which is, it really pops. It really stands out in this this thing that this book is just a bunch of text. And then you have this this moment where 
it's it's a literal <laughs> emoji on your screen. Yeah. Um. Not not just the keyboard one, not just the XD one that she made slightly before, but a literal smiley face emoji. Yeah. Um. And I, I think that that makes it stand out. You remember specifically that Kenzie's smiles are always slightly different than what uh a, a, someone else would be like smiling. Um. And it just really makes that pop. And again, that was a decision. It could have just been another. Uh, another lettering emoji, but Wildbo chose to make it physically an emoji in this book. Yeah, I, I enjoy some of the the format games that Wildbo has done, you know, historically over over really all of his web serials. But yeah. he's been doing that a lot in in Ward for sure. Yeah, again, like not something that's like too like too complex or like hidden meaning. It's just it's just like. A lot of times you're when you're watching something or when you're reading something, you're just going along and you assume it was that way. You just like go along with this assumption that everything was always going to be that way. But each and every one of these moments, each and every one of these things was a decision that someone had to make as they were crafting this thing. And I think sometimes the smallest decisions are the most interesting ones. Oh, yeah, definitely. I I, I mean, every, every every word choice is a is a decision even if it's a subconscious decision right. and, and very often they are conscious decisions yeah. so uh yeah so when victoria tunes back into the situation on the field chris has arrived uh, in a gigantic monstrous form he's basically <laughs> a, a giant round fat pig creature uh nobody can guess whose power this might be chris monster descriptions continue to be one of my favorite things in this novel yeah Though I do enjoy them a lot less now, now that I've seen how much of a piece of shit he is. So I am literally cheering for a Chris redemption only because I can enjoy the Chris monster descriptions again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We need to rehabilitate Chris so we can enjoy this part of the story. I agree. Uh, Victoria looks over the pair of human opponents and she notes two of them stand out to her, which turn out to be the cocoon man and the other one, who's like the hunched over lady who makes mysterious black shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically it's, it's kind of an intuitive thing that guides Victoria's attention toward these two capes. And she guesses that she's getting some kind of enhanced powers awareness through the wretch. Uh, difficult to prove obviously, but th- this is her kind of provisional theory for why did my, why did my attention go to those two? It's probably, probably on power. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I like this because it is really this is kind of pushing us down the road that the rest of the chapter is going to take. Right. This idea it's introducing this idea that Victoria's connection to her shard might be influencing the way she processes things, the way she sees sees things, perhaps subtle differences in the ways that she's reacting to certain things. Um, and, and this idea that altering her perception might have unexpected benefits like she can point out these two people but there are also consequences to it it's an idea that we've talked about a lot it's an idea that the books have kind of explored a lot but this is now the moment where it is explicitly picking this idea up and is going to directly address this idea because this becomes really the linchpin of the the conclusion to this part of the amy conflict Mm -hmm. yeah and this is one of those instances where my first instinct was to say like, well, Victoria, you don't actually know that that's where that instinct came from. And then I was just like, you know what? I think this is one of those times where I'm probably just supposed to believe the point of view character about what she's saying. And 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 this is actually her power talking to her because that keeps things simple and clean. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, uh, Amy escalates the situation by telling the heroes that they want them to go. Um, I love this moment as the fallen capes start 
calling out threats to Rain, and Chris just immediately turns and walks away. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if those things are directly related, but I sure want them to because that means there's hope for my boy Chris yet. Right? I, I I feel pretty confident that they are because there's no there was no need for Chris to do anything at all. Like he he could have just stayed and, and participated, but I think I think that he cares about Rain and that it upsets him that he cares about Rain, and so his his choice since he's trying to reject everything human about himself is to be like well i'm definitely not going to be here for this because then i would feel bad and that's unacceptable yeah yeah anyway yeah, i don't know so so we're really obviously now ratcheting up tension right the interdimensional conflict is about to come to a head amy won't back down and the wardens feel like they can't either because we're we're on gimel right like this is this is on gimel near the shin portal and so Amy is literally on Gimmel, uh, property, right? Yeah, I think I, so. I'm like understanding the geography, right? So like if the warden say, okay, we'll back down. They have basically ceded this area. Shin now ha- owns land in their, in their dimension. So they can't do it. Um, and, and again, Victoria is powerless. She's been benched. She can only try to convince people through third parties. She is not there as this, tension is ratcheting as this conflict comes to a head yeah yeah it's it's a great it's a great scene of of just these two sides aren't going to back down you you know something is going to give you don't know who's going to be the first to move um you know it's going to be bad no matter what actually that's that's if anything the most surprising part about the ending of this chapter is uh, you just know it's going to be bad no matter what mm-hmm. and you know what it's not really it isn't yeah we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get there uh, by the end though we'll, we'll talk sure. about that specifically so anyway, the hunched over Sheen Cape tries a big aggressive attack and uh, Moonsong just kind of casually throws her into space. <laughs> what I love about this moment is the tragedy of it, right? This is not Cape's itching to fight. This is not the desire for conflict coming to a head and then bam, bam, bam. Moonsong does this and then as she's doing it says, no, years of good relationship and you're throwing it all away. And I think that's great because from the beginning of this conflict, it is not set up as an action scene. It is set up as a failure. Like this, the diplomacy has failed. Communication has failed. Amy has failed to stop being fucking... Amy, um, and and I, I think that that builds this action scene as almost an inevitable tragedy to where, like, you're not like, yeah, cape fight. You're like, no, yeah. why did it have to come to this? Yeah, you, you keep, I mean, the, the, the goal here is for Victoria to find a way of talking talking Amy down, um, mm-hmm. which, I mean, she succeeds at, right? Because, yeah, yeah. I mean, here it goes. Victoria begins passing a message to Tattletail, who passes a message to Sveta, who passes the message to Amy. <laughs> And, um, I mean, it's, it's amazing the scene works as well as it does, considering there's that much indirection going on. Uh, but the crux of, of what's being communicated is basically just Amy's decision right now is losing her, her family, and also basically saying, sort of excusing Victoria's uh, former lashing out and saying that she did it because she feels that Amy has backed her into a corner. And if Amy would stop behaving this way, then Victoria wouldn't feel that way. Yeah. I, I think you're right that this works surprisingly well, given that we're basically playing a game of telephone. Yeah. And I think the reason it does work so much is because I think the writing here is just fucking fantastic. Yeah. Like this is not Amy hatred. This is not fucking Amy. This is not snark. This is just, this is devolved into violence and this is just Sveta 
pleading with her like and it's beautifully written your dad had his head injury so did your mom your sister had her stay in the hospital shitty as it sounds your entire family has its issues with control and labels and identity believe me the time i spent with victoria i know you are a member of that family for better or worse the only thing keeping you from being part of that family is a decision you're making now you will lose carol you will lose mark you'll lose the chance to meet victoria over iced tea 20 years from now to talk and catch up and at this point it doesn't matter whether that's like a thing that's actually going to happen or not it's just like what you're doing will make sure positively that it will not happen yeah right and and i mean amy clings to this fantasy she does kind of live in this fantasy world where even when she's prevented with extraordinary evidence of how much victoria loathes her she can always like claw her way back to a position where uh you know if, if only x and y and z then things would be better and Victoria would. Yeah. And, and yeah, she, she's very, she's a delusional person fundamentally. And yeah. so, yeah. and so this is an argument that appeals to her, even though it's what we, we know. And I think maybe even just an objective observer knows it's not realistic. Yeah. Um, but, but interestingly enough, then Amy says it. And I think this is the most important thing Amy has said in this entire book. This is one of the first things she said in a long time that I didn't doubt as the truth, because I think what she says here is not colored by her desire to avoid responsibility or her maneuvering to justify her actions. I think this is just honest truth. I don't want a way forward. I don't even like me at all. Why would I inflict myself on my family? I think that is 100 percent true. I think that is Amy revealing a truth to herself that she was terrified of revealing before. And at that moment, after she reveals that truth, she attacks. And I think that's really important. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 almost like the, the, the dynamics of this point and, and the points after it is that she is so she's pushed so far that she actually gives up. Yep. She gives yep. up on her family and, and then subsequently is given hope again, which is yeah. ultimately, I think, the reason why Victoria kind of loses it at the end of the chapter but we're, yeah. we're not quite there yet we'll get there in a second so yeah well I, I don't think she just gives up hope on her family i think she she gives up hope on herself a little bit i think she yeah. allows her narrative to fall down and the yeah. only thing she's the only thing she has left at that point is violence i i agree i think i think that the voice that's coming out of her mouth right now is the voice that almost never gets to come out of her mouth it's the voice that usually she finds some like we said earlier, some bullshit way of, of getting around having to think that that uncomfortable thought. Yeah. But she's she's pressed so hard that, that it just it just kind of slips out and then she attacks. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the heroes are, are able to evade due to a few seconds of warning by Tattletail. Uh, basically, Tattletail, uh, sorry, uh, Amy uses a pool of nursery material that she's accumulated underground and then caused to burst up through the ground. Uh, Tristan and Moonsong coordinate to use Rising Star. So there's this great moment of coordination between these formerly alienated um, uh, heroes. And then Sveta is almost stabbed uh, by Amy, but saved by Slicean, another pair of, of alienated and, and at-odds heroes. So it's a very, yeah. very cool series of, of action moments. It's almost as if that is purposeful and deliberate, right? Yes. That in this moment, in this moment where Amy is collapsing, Amy is revealing her true self, where the the idea of any kind of reconciliation with the monster that is currently inhabiting Amy's skin, we have capes save each other and work together. 
that have been formerly at odds. Tristan and Moonsong, Sveta, like this is this is deliberate and it's perfect. I love it so much. And it, you just look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Look, look what we're doing here. Look what we're doing as these these capes that are at odds with each other, save each other, work together, communicate, connect. Um, and and that's that's kind of what happens. That's kind of how we pull Amy back from the brink a little bit there. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, I mean, it's it's, of course, also additionally um, Sveta slash Victoria through Sveta continuing to press, telling mm-hmm. her reach out, seek therapy. Amy counters with her. You know, so, so so she's being swayed because she, she actually does does respond. Uh, she counters with her long held secret belief that Victoria's aura caused her to feel the way she does. Um, and this is this hits Victoria pretty hard. But after a moment to process it, Victoria counters that all of her other family members got more exposure uh, to her to her aura, and they didn't suffer any of those effects. So she pretty is pretty easily able to dismiss it. Actually, yeah, I think this is really important. This is taking like a a pretty long held um, fan theory and bringing it into the text, and basically demonstrating why it's probably not true. Um, and that's important because I, I, it's also it also really matters because I think you're right that it kind of it shocks Victoria a little bit. Like, I think the line she says is, how long has she been blaming me? Right. Yeah. Um, and and I think this realization that it's 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 incredible to me. Yeah. And then and then I want to I want to like so basically this strategy that Victoria has taken um works yeah she she talks amy down and and i want to talk about how she did that because i think this is really interesting because she basically offers amy an out right through the idea that the reason why you are acting this way is not your fault she is appealing to that side of amy that doesn't want to blame herself right right yeah like this idea that you're not a good person or a bad person you're a person you're both you're a person with an alien in your head that might be pushing you towards these feelings, pushing you away from therapy, pushing you towards all your bad decisions. This is a thing that, that doesn't um, completely demolish Amy's worldview, right? It allows Amy's worldview of this is not my fault to still exist, but also gets her to realize that her behavior, she gets to admit that her behavior is wrong, but not have to take responsibility. For <laughs> exactly. It. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it even invokes her good person, bad person language that she loves to, to use on herself and kind of neatly sidesteps it without really challenging it and just says, you know what? Um, you're, you're right, Amy, but you still need to go to therapy and, and just talk to someone about this. And, and, and it, it works. It gets through to her. It appears to anyway. I, I have no reason to doubt. I mean, it, it seems, it seems to be a success, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I love this. I love like I love this. Like she, this idea of she kind of hates you. And I think, you know, that's for a good reason. But she's willing to extend you a chance. I have no fucking idea why. Yeah. I think that's perfect. You don't deserve it. I still hate you, but you get that chance because you are a person. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I think it works really well that this is coming from Sveta's mouth instead of Victoria's because, well, a, a bunch of reasons, actually. Like, I I, I don't think Victoria could even necessarily say these things through her human yeah. mouth. So that, that was the question I, I, I had for you oh, because yeah? 
if she was if she was in the field with her, could Victoria have said those things? And I think you're right. I don't think I don't think she could have. Because she almost like you know breaks down just having communicated them through through text and, and just having had to watch the situation. So if you think about it, Eric saved the world. <laughs> you stole my line. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, but the thing is, like, Victoria won, quote unquote, and she, le- but like, she leaves the situation room, she's she's furious, she's afraid she's going to like smash things, and like, the, the, one of the things I take away from this is Amy had, Amy, Amy basically had given up and it was escalating to violence, and she kind of had, a, like, Victoria had a situation where if she had just taken her hand off the rudder, Maybe she would have gotten lucky and somebody would have caved in Amy's head mm-hmm. and then her problems would all be over. And then Sheen and Gimmel would be at open war, but at least her problem would be solved. But instead, Victoria puts herself back on the line. She gives she gives or she lets Amy think that she, that Amy has been given a second chance. Amy is no longer given up on her. And it's like she had she had what she wanted and then she gave it up in exchange for putting aside this war or, or postponing this war or, or whatever. And yeah, th- that's that's classic Victoria self-sacrificing heroism. And it's, it's kind of it's kind of great. It's also tragic. Yeah, it, it is. And I wonder, I mean, do you think it is all just noble putting Earth first or is is there is there a part of Victoria that really genuinely believes that Amy still deserves a second chance? Uh, or do you well, think that's all just an act for the sake of of humanity? I, I, so, so I definitely just assumed it was all an act for the sake of humanity. Um, you asking the question forces me to wonder, but but I I mean, the, the, even the fact that Victoria kind of mentally undermines some of the stuff that Sveta says. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, my favorite part is like. I said that before she tried to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> she tried to kill Sveta. Yeah. Like. Right. Like, like maybe 10 seconds ago, she believed that, but now it's like you cross, you've, you've, you've torn it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't think, I don't think Victoria is psychologically capable of extending Amy a true second chance right now. And, and sure. n- nor would I truly encourage her to. Uh, so Yeah. Yeah, but I think she also recognizes that she shouldn't necessarily be the one that gets to make that decision. Yeah, about whether or not she does it. Like she know, like that's one thing. That's one thing Victoria has been throughout this whole thing is she's fully aware of her bias against Amy and is not gonna want to be the one that like is the arbiter of her future or not. Um, she continually lets other people make that decision. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, so I mean, so. <sighs> Amy agrees to go to therapy here, right? Like the, the, we end this conflict on Amy standing down and saying, yes, okay, I'll go to therapy. Um, is this going to work? <laughs> like, it, first of all, is she going to go? If she does go, is this going to work? Is she too far gone? Is there a way for Amy to come back and, and become a good person, a truly good person? Well, I mean, good question, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think like in theory, yes, but also um, the the type of person that Amy is, I feel my based on my personal understanding of how these things work, she's got one of the personality types that is 
the hardest for therapy to actually work on. Sure. Because she has so much energy put into her self-maintaining loops of, of delusional self-justification and um, breaking those down is very painful for a person like that to the extent that they'll often just be like, Hey, I'm, I'm fine. It's everyone else who suffers from my delusions. I'd rather just keep them personally. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not saying it's impossible, but uh, definitely it's not going to be like she has one therapy session with, you know, whoever and walks away from it, a changed woman. Yeah. I mean, I, it is much more likely that she has one therapy session, uh, isn't, isn't immediately cured and is like, well, fuck this. This doesn't work. Right, yeah. I still feel bad. Yeah. The therapist is going to uh, be unfair to her and not mm-hmm. listen to her in the same way sure. that Jessica uh, was. Sure. Yeah. sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. Um, I want, like, I, I hate Amy. <laughs> I yeah. really do. I think she's a terrible person. And, um, I think she's done terrible things, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't want that for her. I didn't want a future for her in which she gets to be a better person. And she gets to be a person that accepts what she's done, accepts the terrible things she's done to people and attempts to actually truly grow and and like learn and change from those terrible things. Um I don't know if that's possible. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't know if it was ever possible. I certainly don't know if it's possible anymore, but Hey, the fact that she was willing to step down, she was willing to toss aside the path of, I give up. That's good. Yeah. I think from the position of, you know, someone who is reading this story and and enjoying it, I, I kind of like, it would be, it would be cool. It would be, it would be kind of amazing and impressive if we found a way, if the story found a way through, to having Amy actually obtain some kind of redemption that felt genuine and earned, um, like rather than just like a building falling on her or something. And <laughs> right. cause like, cause I'm, I'm sure we could be satisfied by a building falling on Amy, but it would yeah. also be really kind of awesome to, if, if, if some positive outcome were obtainable for her and, and, and we, and we were able to feel good about it due to the circumstances of that. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what that would look like yet, though. So I don't, I don't know either. I, I think, I think it's probably far, far too late for that. But I mean, it is. We leave this scene with Amy being like, "Oh yeah, maybe it is this fucking evil alien in my head that's doing this to me," um, which can both be, "Let's actually work on ourselves and let's stop and let maybe stop trusting our gut as much," but also can be, "This is a perfect excuse. It's not my fault." Yay! Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah, it could go either way. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like. Basically, the the thing that Victoria's ruminating on as she as she leaves this chapter is the idea that her insights come from her shard, mm-hmm. and she kind of acknowledges that she's being influenced by her shard a little bit. Yeah, I mean, by 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 putting that forward with Amy, she's also forced to acknowledge that it's happening to herself a little bit, and that she needs to be conscious of it. But yeah. then she's like, but then we end the chapter with. Thank you, fragile one, for the hints and the nudges. I'll pretend they're from you because I can't keep fighting and hating you. I'm spent. Um, so I, I, what you said earlier was this idea that um, the the hints and the nudges about power she's getting, the text wants us to assume they're coming from the shard. But I think basically what we've done here is say that Victoria doesn't even care anymore. Yeah. And, and, I, yeah. I'm, I'm going to pretend they're from you even even if they're not. Um, because that allows me to not fight against you anymore in, in the same paragraphs where she acknowledged 
to Amy that part of her behavior might be influenced by this thing in her head. She's basically like, I just want, I'm going to embrace you thing in my head. Yeah. Right. And my actions right now are being, are being dictated by it. Or at least she thinks they are. Yeah. And I will acknowledge that my actions are being manipulated or influenced by you. I acknowledge that that is happening. I, I acknowledge the fact that I am behaving differently, but I'm tired tired of fighting and so let's do this thing and it's like oh no yeah i mean i definitely think there are some parallels between amy and victoria in in this in this particular chapter um in 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 the way that they are uh i think i said earlier spiraling Mm -hmm. Uh, i I see this as being part of that yeah and (laughs) we we need to mention the part where she's like i'm not gonna let her get a grip on what her shard is better than me yeah (laughs) which is just oh that's perfect victoria i love it so the way this all wraps up, we, we talked about this earlier, this idea that you, you kind of feel like you're building towards something. You're building toward this big fight. There's all these all these guys here, like there's there's Seer, you know, there's there's all these people you're just like, oh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a big fight. We've been waiting for these people to to clash. And then mm-hmm. it's just like the heroes just kind of dunk on them. And and then Amy backs down like it's 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 intentionally anticlimactic. And I was wondering what you, what your take was on, on why why that might be. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is because this is not the climax. This is yeah. not the this is not the big thing. This is not the thing that they've been worrying about. Like this is what we've been, you know, through Victoria setting up throughout this arc. That this is not it. This is this is something else. And so it is kind of intentionally anticlimactic because this isn't where we this shouldn't have been where our attention is going, and. Uh, and now, now we need to refocus and we need to actually, the, the actual climax is going to be revealed. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that is absolutely intentional. I think by design, we, we ratcheted up tension all the way up and then immediately turned that release, that release valve and just dropped it down. And it is supposed to feel like that because, um, okay. So now right. what? And it's like, oh, well, now the actual climax re- rears its head. Yeah. I mean, if anything, we're left in this kind of tension wise, we're left in this lurch of, of like, well, well, that didn't really that doesn't that doesn't feel like it resolved anything. Like we mm-hmm. we still have this looming uh, threat to the city and, and that's resolved that. But it doesn't feel resolved. And um, yeah, and, yeah there's so, there's, yeah. there's something inherently unsatisfying about it. I yeah. mean, and not from not from like. As a reader, I'm enjoying the hell out of all this, but like just from like a resolution standpoint, yeah. it's like, yeah, we feel like, yay, we did it. But in the back of your head, it's like, it certainly doesn't feel like we did yeah. anything. Right. It leaves you on edge, I think. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, that wraps up these two chapters. Let's do our discussion question from last week. How did we go so long on two chapters? Uh, well, we talked about her being in the shower for about 20 minutes. Is oh, how. yeah, that was it. We yeah. got to focus on those shower scenes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that that is why actually I was <laughs> paying attention to that. Um, so the question was talk about your favorite example of a character in fiction looking bad within the story despite you and the character knowing that their actions are justified. Antichrist quotes a movie called Tucker and Dale versus Evil, uh, which the quote is officer. We have had a doozy of a day. Uh, Scott, I have no idea what this movie's about. Oh my God, it's so good. Okay. <laughs> Everyone needs to see Tucker and Dale versus Evil. It's really great. I mean, it's these two guys that are just like, one of them is played by Alan Tudyk 
and they're just like bumbling guys that keep getting involved in all this crazy shit. And everyone always thinks they're the ones responsible for all of it because they just bumble around. But they're actually the ones trying to save everyone. And it's so good. Sounds, everyone needs to watch this movie. It's so fun. It sounds very fun. Yeah. I'll check it out. All right, next up we have Death of the Artist who talks about Yojimbo by Akira Kurosawa. The main character pretends to be an amoral, bloodthirsty sellsword when in reality he is playing both sides of a gang war in an attempt to destroy both gangs for good of all. Death of the Artist goes on to say that there's a fascinating meta element at play in the sense that Kurosawa is reacting to the reception of his previous film, Seven Samurai, which was criticized for being too Western by making most morally unjap- making the most morally un-Japanese film possible. The protagonist breaks every cultural rule while strictly pursuing a highly higher moral goal uh that's a great answer uh yojimbo is one of the few kurosawa films i have not seen and i really need to watch it yeah the, I, I think i'm going to do that like this weekend because i want to real bad it sounds really interesting and it sounds kind of up our alley in, in the sense of like it's it's an anti-hero that's playing with your um i mean almost, almost like a taylor situation where like uh the 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 portrayal versus the objective goodness of the character are, are at odds. Um, sounds mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Heaven's Chocolate describes a character from the manga Berserk. Basically, it's a character who has done some truly horrible actions in the past, but is now regarded as a great hero, prompting questions about whether any amount of good can outweigh past wrongs. Um, I, I have no familiarity with this, so I don't know if my summary really did justice to this character, but that's, uh, yeah, that was that. If you've read that manga, let us know. Yeah. Uh, Fantasian, first-time commenter, hello, welcome, thanks for listening, brings up a very apropos real-life example of this trope. Domestic abusers. Abusers commonly strive to have a good public public image. Their people-pleasing lays the groundwork to get them off the hook if the abuse ever comes out. Amy, as a hero and a healer, has built up this kind of reputation, undermining any effort Victoria makes to get the wardens to see Amy for what she is. In many real-world cases, the victim will even look like the abusive partner to an outside observer as does victoria when she acts unhinged acts like the unhinged violent sister here it's quite a long and detailed comment and very illuminating given the subject matter yeah uh i read this one and fantasian this was great like the, the way you managed to take all these actual real world domestic abusers and just perfectly lay them on top of everything that amy is doing was remarkable and i think it's a testament to wildbo's ability to draw this character um, in a, in a very, very, very realistic way. Yeah. And uh, upsettingly realistic. And, uh, yeah. this is one comment that I would recommend going and checking out. It was, um, Fantasian's comment. Yeah. It's, it's really good. And I think that's why there's such a strong reaction to Amy, right? Like Amy is this character that people react very, very strongly to. I think there's a lot of people out there that like, why do people hate Amy so much? And I think it's for a lot of people because she feels so real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Awesome. Yeah, we look forward to more comments from Fantasian. Yeah. Muns for College gives us the example of Terminator 2 era Sarah Connor. If we didn't know she was right, we would see her in a purely negative light, especially during the first part of the film um, and also the rest of the film. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she's she's like portrayed as being a crazy violent person for most of the movie. Um, yeah. But we happen to know that she's absolutely right about everything. And what I love about what Jim Cameron does in that movie is he shoots it as if she's crazy too, right? Like the way he shoots Sarah Connor and in, especially in the early parts of the movie, it makes her look completely nuts. (laughs) Yes. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, and, there's a case that she indeed is. <laughs> she right, just right. happens to also be right. <laughs> right. Yeah. True. True. Absolutely true. But yeah, I mean, it is kind of ironic that like we we know we know for a fact she's a hundred percent right. But yeah, yeah, that's why it's such a good movie. It's the best. I need to go see the new one because I've heard kind of good things. No, shocking, surprisingly. Shocking, yeah. All right. Son of Stannis brings up Byron during arc nine. He puts strain on his relationships with his teammates and risks his own safety by going after goddess while everyone, including the POV character is against him. Yeah. That's a good example. I like that. Yeah. And, and in, in this case, we know that Byron is right, but nobody else in the story does, including Victoria in this case. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was, that was fun. Captain Rhino says uh, the children in the series of unfortunate events novels are seen as paranoid and irrational by the adults in the stories, despite them being correct about the danger that they're in. <laughs> That's a really good example. Matt, have you watched those Netflix episodes of that show yet? No. Do it. Can Can I watch that with my kids? Is huh. it Is it ultra violent? I mean, there's a lot of death, but... It, no, probably not. I'll, but you probably I'll, they need to be older. I'll check it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll see. Uh, Funderfulness tells us about a situation in the show Fate Slash Zero where a character has to kill a bunch of people to save a greater number of people and got a reputation as a ruthless killer despite this act heavily weighing on them. I've never heard of that thing, but... Yeah, sounds cool. Yeah, I've I've heard of it. Um, the, the I'm I'm sanitizing a lot of details from some of these to avoid spoilers. By the way, M- yeah. most people added more detail than this, but yeah, that that sounds like a, a fun it. dramatic situation, right? Where every like you you the reader are the only person who knows that this person is is actually acting from a good place. Everyone else thinks they're a monster. So yeah, mm-hmm. fluid horror gives a couple of examples, including a beautiful mind and girl interrupted. Uh, and the episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where aliens try to make Riker think that he hallucinated his adventures on the Enterprise. Basically, they're specifically talking about this kind of subtrope of the institutionalized character who we know is sane, which, interestingly, Sarah Connor would be another example of. Yeah, um, this is a thing in a lot of television shows, too, and it's one of my favorite episodes in TV shows. Uh, so they're... <laughs> Sorry, there's an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) See, Matt knew exactly where I was going before I said it. Um, So there's an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where uh, she's fighting some demon and she wake and they hit her or something and she wakes up in an insane asylum and is basically told that the entire events of the show of the past five years of the show are all made up and in her head. And she's actually just been this woman that completely became unhinged. And it's I love this trope because like it's always funny because they, they go meta with it. We're like, Oh, in this world, you're the center of attention and everything revolves around you and you have superpowers and you've saved the world multiple times. And they like point out how ridiculous and absurd it is from the perspective of real life. Um, because it's a TV show. The thing that I love the most about this, this idea. And I think that episode of Buffy does it better than just about anything I've seen is at the end of the day, you, the reader or the watcher know that this is bullshit. Like, you know that Buffy is not just a crazy woman in a sane asylum. She is a vampire slayer. But the episode plays it so well that by the end of the episode, you're like, well, (laughs) (laughs) and that's that's the thing I think is absolutely brilliant about it. Um, And so thank you for giving me an excuse to talk about Buffy fluid horror. You you don't need an excuse to talk about Buffy, Scott. (laughs) That's that's true. That's true. 
Um, yeah. Uh, Wanson brings up the most the most infuriating scene in all of Worm when Taylor's carefully gathered evidence of bullying is ignored by the authorities. Yes. Uh, that's yeah. so frustrating. It, it's 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 fantastic. It makes you so angry that like that, that's one of the early Worm moments where I was like. Oh, this is this is fucking good, you know, like because you're just mm-hmm. so mad. You're like, oh, man, how often does a book make me this mad? Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Round as Frog also mentions Taylor. But in this context, talking about how an objective description of Taylor is terrifying. But we know better. Or do we? <laughs> yeah. Um, Farm Fresh Hornets mentions Saitama. From what did I say that right? It's close enough. I don't know. <laughs> from One Punch Man and tells of an instance where Saitama intentionally makes it look like he's stealing credit from other heroes just so the heroes will get credit in the ensuing backlash against him. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun. It was, uh, you know, having having it's interesting having watched um, um, Mob Psycho. I, I like can more easily understand the kind of thing that the story is going for here. Should Everyone should listen to our Mob Psycho episode, by the way. Yeah, I'm really proud of that episode because I liked that anime. <gasps> anyway, let's not dwell on that for too long. Um, so next week's discussion question. What is your favorite example in fiction of a scene where characters watch thing happen, watch things happen on screens or on some other medium? Yeah, and, and how do you think that particular device uh, enhances that scene yeah um, rather rather than detracts from it right yeah. and and I was able to like the reason I was okay with this question is I was able to quickly come up with several examples so that means there are a lot of examples so yeah yeah, yeah. Well, have fun with that one yeah I look forward to I mean it, it seems like a very specific thing but I think it happens a lot actually so well the fun thing about these kind of questions and this is like the second in a row we've done like this is you come up with the question I listen to it immediately list like five things. Right. Uh And then as we're reading through people's entries, there's all this stuff I never even considered. And then I'm like that I've, that I've read that I've like the idea of the um, person in insane asylum we know isn't crazy is such a great idea. And it's such a great answer to the question. And I took a little different direction than, uh, than uh, what, uh, what um, fluid horror meant. But I, I know exactly what they're talking about. It's, it's it's just it's really it's re- it's a great way to like to make links and connections that I would never have even thought of when you kind of crowdsource the stuff. And I, that's why I love these questions. And I think we do these kinds more than any other thing. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, nobody brought up 12 monkeys. So obviously yeah. there's a lot of a lot of options, a lot of options for shame. People I know. 12 monkeys. I brought it up. There thank, you go. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So look forward to your answers next week. Mm-hmm. So that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or at, on Twitter at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is at mordenamail. Um, I'm sorry that I didn't do a live tweet this past week on my Twitter. I usually do those, but this was a really rough week and slash week for me. Um, and it put me behind. That's why this episode's coming out a day late. But uh, we'll be back on schedule next week. So sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. And you can do that on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, pretty much any old podcast platform or, or app or any of those things. Yep. 
And as always, you can find this and all the podcasts and shows and everything we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. That's where you can find Do the Right Thing, which this week did a spooky Halloween episode. Yeah, it was it was fun. Um, I completely did the prompt wrong because it was actually it was actually you're supposed to write a Halloween story that doesn't use the words um, spooky Halloween pumpkin or candy. No, that was like the double challenge. That was the, the double the, challenge. Okay. The the base challenge is write a short story using three of those words. And the super special holiday challenge was write a Halloween story without using the most common Halloween okay. words ever. So you didn't do I, it wrong. I did the, you just didn't do hard. Yeah, mode. I did easy mode, but that's because I wasn't paying attention to the prompt. Yeah. Guys, there's a ton of people listening to the show. And I know, I know that not all of you listen to do the right thing because we have our numbers um let me uh, stop it (laughs) (laughs) go go go, seriously guys go listen to that show i mean even i listen to it every week and i have never submitted an entry and i probably never will have time to except for like the episode that i end up guesting it is still just a fun show if you like people talking about writing it's a fun show to listen to and it's really fun to do i i haven't missed a week since i became aware of the existence of the show and it's it's one of my favorite habits to have. Um, and some weeks I write complete shit and, and I hate it. And I'm embarrassed to even share it. And then some weeks I'm really happy with it. And I like I'm like writing a high of like, man, I can't believe that came out of my mind. I'm uh, even if it's not that great. I mean, it's, it's 30 minute story. But the point is, it's really fun. It's a really fun habit to do. Yeah. So um, try even if even if you don't call yourself a writer, um, you know, just try it out. Yeah. What's the worst that could happen? You write an okay story and you're just like everyone right. else that's writing okay stories. The, that's I mean, the, the brilliance of the concept is no one is going to create an award winning story in 30 minutes. It's just not going yeah. to happen. So there's no pressure. The point is um, to learn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you should all listen to it. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah. So do that. And also listen to Media MD and Deep Impact. Yeah. And the Doofcast. So I, 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 I get it stuck in my I get in my head where I'm like everyone everyone knows how good pact is and how good deep impact is. So I don't, I don't really need to, I don't really need to belabor it. They just know that. And, and, and I realized I was like, no, people still don't appreciate pact enough. Like I I'm so I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I'm angry that people that I let people convince me not to read pact for as long as they did. Pact is so good. If you haven't read pact, what are you doing? It's it's much better than you think it is, I assure you. I, and Deep Impact feel, is a really great show. I feel very personally attacked right now. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so listen to Deep Impact. You can find if you want to hear more about these shows, just go to our website, click on that podcast thing at the top, and it will tell you everything you need to know about every one of these shows. You can just grab an episode, try it out, listen for like five minutes and see if it's your stuff. And uh, and then listen to all of them. We order you to. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, anyway, if you like any of those shows and you want to support them, consider donating at patreon.com slash doof media. You can donate any amount, even just a dollar. Uh, supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in the fan art contest, which passed recently, and the um, costume contest, which is about to end. Uh, hangout sessions with the doof crew which we're getting we're getting really (laughs) we're getting really out there with these Um, (laughs) this is just completely out of hand i don't i don't know how to 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 deal with it i i 
do we tell them what, what November's? Yeah. November's doof and chill is going to be a one-off live action role play. Um well, it's not really live action role play because we're not like running through a forest, but re- I guess it's called real play, right? Yeah. That's what it's called. Of us doing the Chuck Tingle um universe what is it called i don't know we're doing yeah. chuck tingle made like a the cte like, like a tabletop rpg thing <laughs> and we're gonna be doing that and if you know who chuck tingle is you know how fucking insane that sounds and i can't wait it's gonna be so much fun so if you are not donating at that doof dancer that five dollar level or above uh, November is a perfect time to do it because it's going to be fucking wild and I can't wait for it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, and yeah. So then of course, uh, live streams and, and the discord chat are the other kinds of things that you get for donating. So, yep. um, and of course, while you're over there, check out patreon.com slash and donate to him as well. This is his world. We're just playing in it. And this week, of course, special thanks to new Bidoof's Jack M Maxwell K Tybo five, 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 KL and Richard S. We appreciate each and every one of you. We hope to see uh, we hope to see you folks maybe uh, uh, around the Discord. Yeah, and um, a special shout out to you know the members of our community. Um, those of you that are, are on Patreon, those of you that are not, all of you guys. Uh, this was a really tough week for me. Uh, my dog passed away today, and I had to push the episode. And you guys have just been phenomenal and just so lovely and nice and make me feel so loved. And I just, I just really appreciate it. Um, I, I love, like, I'm so happy. I'm so happy with the show we produce, but I'm so happy with the, the type of people that listen to our show. You guys are, are kind and, and wonderful. And I just wanted to give you like a personal thank you from me, um, from both me and my wife. Cause this was a, a tough week for us and you guys made it considerably easier for us. Yeah, thanks for taking care of my boy, Scott, everybody. <laughs> All right. Uh, and of course, of course, if you cannot donate you know, financially, that is absolutely okay. There are tons of ways to help us out. Listening helps us out. Sharing the podcast helps us out. Reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever else uh, you can review podcasts really helps us out. These are all ways you guys can help us out. And we appreciate you that take the time and do that. It, it means a lot to us. So, yeah, that's all we've got for you on the show this week. Next week, uh, Amy goes to therapy. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Does Amy kill her therapist immediately? (laughs) Something, Something terrible will happen, I'm sure.